Welcome to the 233rd episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we'll be talking about it. Today, we are recording on May 19th, 2021. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com and 50% of this here show with me is the man who's back from pulling sick parkour stunts off the seven wonders of the modern world, Corey Motley. Out of all the things to lead with, that was what you went with? <laughs> you know, I went back and forth. I had a couple of the choices, but it felt like that was maybe the best. Should I pick a different one? I mean, <clears throat> I think a more appropriate entrance would have been like, the guy who sits at his computer for 20 hours a day and doesn't do anything, Corey Motley. <laughs> Desk jockey supreme, Corey Motley. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll... Corey Motley. Corey Motley, welcome back to the show, my brother. I'm so glad to be back. Um, I can't even remember the last time I was on the show. It's probably been like six months or more, and I am so happy to be back, and I am so happy to be talking about the games that we're going to be talking about today. As am I. Now, this is going to sound weird, but you've actually been off the show longer than you've been on the show, and I wouldn't be surprised if some of our listeners who joined in the quote-unquote Carlos era might not even know who you are. So just as a quick history lesson, Corey Motley uh, is a former, I mean, I guess you're still a staff writer at Game Critics, even though you don't write too much these days. Uh, but also good personal friend of mine and the person who I started this podcast with way back in the day. So if you go back in the So Video Games archives, go all the way back to episode one or even episode zero, the lost episode, it's me and Corey for like a really long time, a couple of years. And then Corey moved on to a different phase in his life. I curse you. I curse you to this day. <laughs> and he just pops in for guest spots here and there. So here is the next Corey Motley guest spot. Welcome back, sir. Thank you. I had no idea that I have been gone longer than I've been here. It makes me think of like, you know, like in a soap opera when they just recast a person one day and then maybe five years later, the original person comes back or something like that for that role. I feel like that. And it's wild for me to think about just how long this podcast has been going because we did it for like two years together, which means that you and Carlos have now done it for two years plus together. And here I am guest starring again, and it feels so good to be back. It is good to have you back, sir. You have been gone too long. We need to get you on the show more often. But I'm really glad that you were here today. And actually, uh, just for people listening, this was kind of a, a lucky happenstance. Um, we didn't really plan this ahead of time. Uh, I, I don't know what triggered it, but for whatever reason, you messaged me about Resident Evil Village. Or did I message you? You messaged me, right? Yeah, I think I messaged you. And I was just like, oh, you know, I'm actually going to play this too. And it just so happens that Carlos is taking a sabbatical next week. He's off on a sex tour of Southeast Asia. Uh, be safe, Carlos. Uh, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, he's gone next week. Corey's talking to me. Corey's available next week. Oh, synchronicity. This is wonderful. Just like old times. Just like old times. All right, excellent. Just like old times, we are not going to fill the top end of the show with a bunch of garbage. Uh, we are going to stick with the current script structure, though. So I don't know if you've been listening to the show lately, Corey, but uh, recently Carlos and I moved in together. We share a house. And in this house, uh, you know, we have different lifestyles. I'm pretty neat. Carlos is pretty messy. And in order to avoid domestic squabbles, we had a big roll of duct tape and we put a strip of duct tape down the middle of our living room. And we keep our house every week. He's got stuff on his side. 
I've got stuff on my side. So it's now time to keep the house since Carlos is not here. It's keeping the house with Corey. Corey, um, I guess you can check up with me for a week here. Do you have anything on your house, uh, your side of the house that needs to be cleaned up? It needs to be cleaned up. Any housekeeping to do? Any issues you want to bring to the table? Um, Any grievances to air? Well, I aired all of my grievances in our pre-show chat before we started recording, so thank you for that. Um, I can, I have like one small uh, video game related topic I can touch on right now. Is this an appropriate time to do it? This is absolutely appropriate. Please do. I just wanted to say, um, this is going to be kind of a shout out, I guess, but I will talk about Mass Effect in a minute because I've been playing Mass Effect Legendary Edition, but I wanted to give a shout out to a new YouTube channel that I found. Um, usually, I don't watch a lot of gaming stuff on YouTube because it's mostly like young, energetic, straight white dudes who are just like screaming at the camera, whatever. I'm just not really into that. There are a few channels that I watch here and there that do these really long incredible kind of like video essays that really deep dive on certain games. But I was searching for um, sort of like a Mass Effect decisions guide as I was playing it the other day on YouTube so that I wouldn't miss anything weird going in. Because even though I've played Mass Effect like three times over, um, you know, it's always nice to refresh yourself. And I found this YouTuber and her name is she goes by Mother Mantis and Mantis has two S's on the end. Her name is Diana. And she is, I think, a grandmother. She's definitely a mother. I think she might be a grandmother. She's like an older white lady. She's probably in her 50s. And I, this is going to sound so biased and sexist on my part, and I apologize for that. But when you think of gaming YouTubers, I certainly don't think of like older you know, women of a certain age on YouTube, but not only is she like such a great demographic because I feel like she even said in one of her videos that she feels like this unicorn because she didn't start really playing video games until she was, I think she said in like her late thirties or forties or something because she had children when she was younger and, you know, spent a lot of time, you know, raising them obviously. And, you know, kind of being the head of the household and all that. And so she got into gaming when her daughter, I think, recommended World of Warcraft to her. She said one of her videos. And I just want to say, like, I've been watching her videos and she is so cool. She's just like this older lady. She knows so much about Mass Effect. Pretty much she only has maybe like 20 videos up on her channel. She's got about 2,000 subscribers so far. One of her videos, I think the video that I tuned into, The Decisions Guide, has like 35,000 views on it, which I think is pretty incredible for someone who's been, you know, who hasn't been doing YouTube very long. But it's such a breath of fresh air to find someone like that on YouTube. And like, Sometimes she has these little snippets in her videos of her like cooking like a pot roast or something. And it's so cool because she'll do like a little intro and she looks like she's making this delicious dinner. And then she'll cut to her like sitting down at her computer and she like has like totally like a gamer bro like chair that she sits in for gaming. And she's like a PC gamer. And she like talked about upgrading her PC in one of her videos and a bunch of her videos are about Mass Effect and she like really deep dives on a bunch of stuff. And sometimes she drinks like whiskey while she's doing her videos. And she's just like if just from watching one video of hers, I would have assumed that she had been making YouTube videos for years at this point because she's really well spoken. She does an excellent job of cutting in, 
gameplay footage of like over what she's talking about and so she and you can tell she really thinks about stuff and writes everything down and really you know she's not flying by the seat of her pants and I have a lot of respect for people who do that because I'm always flying by the seat of my pants so she's just very cool and it's so nice to see that demographic like on YouTube and her you know kind of gaining a little bit of traction because you know, like I said, most YouTubers in the gaming space are, you know, I mean, at least I feel like are sort of like juvenile, like white dudes, and they're just a lot to handle. But she's just very cool. She talked about how much she loves WoW and Mass Effect, and she talked about playing Dishonored in one of her videos, and I'm, like, dying for her to do a series on Dishonored, so I hope she does, and she just, like, was talking about, like, graphics cards and upgrading her CPU, and it's just, like not what you would expect from looking at her. And I know that's kind of a terrible thing to say, but it's at the same time, it's just the most refreshing thing. So if you're interested in anything like that, I would highly recommend checking out her channel. Again, her name is Mother Mantis. She's very cool, um, just very well-spoken, very knowledgeable about Mass Effect. She's got a bunch of videos about Mass Effect. Her videos are pretty short. I think they're like about 10 to 15 minutes long, so they're not a big time suck. But she's wonderful, and I cannot wait for her to keep uploading more stuff so I can watch it because I really like her. That's awesome. That's awesome. I haven't heard of her. I'll give her a look-see next time I'm on YouTube. It kind of reminds me of uh, one of my friends from Twitter. Her name is Britta, and I believe she's in the UK. I think she's in England or in, in some part over there in Europe. Uh, and she is definitely an older lady. I mean, she, I mean, no, no disrespect to anyone, not trying to throw shade here, but she could easily be someone's grandma. Um, and her, she goes on Twitter by the handle food for dogs and it's food <laughs> with the number four dogs. And the first time I came across her, like I thought it was, I thought someone was punking me or like it was a joke account or something because I mean, food for dogs, that, that's not really a typical name you'd associate with games. <laughs> and then when I saw she looked like this older lady, like someone's grandma. I'm like, is this a joke? Like what is happening? This lady is talking about like the Vita, like she's like the most hardcore Vita enthusiast. And she's like super knowledgeable about like JRPGs and strategy games. And I'm like, is this for real? Like, are you for real? What is going on? Is this, are you a kid? And this is a picture of grandma. I'm like, Nope. She went on to start her own YouTube channel. I believe her YouTube channel, I believe is also the same called food for dogs. I, I need to check on that, but she's great. She's awesome. Like I love talking to her. She just started a new newsletter. Um, and it's like the most well-written, comprehensive newsletter, like it's professionally done. And I'm like, oh my God, Britta, this is like so amazing. You're like so cool. Like you're like this awesome gaming lady who just knows her shit and she just like is really well-spoken and fun to watch. And it just is like, it's a totally different energy to watch um, a lady who is, uh, again, I don't mean to be insulting, but like, you know, of advanced age, who is not usually what we think of when we think of as like the hardest core gamer and like seeing her just like know her shit and she knows what she's talking about and she's like, all up on the latest news and i'm like man this is fucking amazing like it's so cool to talk with uh, a human who is older than me who also likes the same things that i do which is i mean growing up that was a very like rare circumstance like i barely knew any grown-ups at all when i was uh when i was a kid who liked games you know i mean it just wasn't a thing like i come from the era where you were like this like no life loser nerd if you like games i mean of course <laughs> that's changed a bit but i mean to have that relationship with someone uh who is older and uh it's just it's pretty amazing. It sounds like you've kind of got that same energy there. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to have to go look her up after we finish the podcast now because she sounds wonderful. And Food for Dogs, it sounds like one of those, like, you know, like the Can You Pet the Dog Twitter account. That's like what I th yes. think of when you say that. So knowing that that's our handle and that she's into games sounds amazing. Uh, I love Britta. So cool. And I'll have to definitely check out um, what Mother Mantis is what you said? Yes, Mother Mantis. Uh, oh. 
I was going to say Mistress Mantis, but I, I think that's a different account. That's a different. Uh, well, we're going to look that up after the show. That's her OnlyFans account, actually. Uh, everybody, everybody's got OnlyFans these days, dude. <laughs> All right. So that is yours. Anything else? Any other tidbits on the side of your house that need to be cleaned up? Um, I don't think so. I was trying to brainstorm about some little things I could talk about earlier, but um. I mean, that's about it. Other than, I mean, I don't know. I don't think we want to get all hard newsy, but there's been a lot of shit going on with, you know, IGN and the Palestine and Israel conflict and their statement on it. And I don't really think we need to deep dive in that. But that whole situation is really fucked up from IGN's corporate um, like entity that owns the company, like basically overruling them editorially. I've been following that pretty closely on Twitter and it seems like a fucking mess. But I, you know, it's weird to think about like when I was in college, you know, IGN was always kind of like the biggest gaming site, but at the same time, I never associated it with like very sophisticated editorial work. You know, it was kind of like lowest common denominator video games writing, in my opinion. And sure, it seems sure. like from that, I mean, it's been like 10 years since I've really mm-hmm. checked in with IGN, but it really seems like they've come a long way and it's nice. I still follow a handful of editors for, you know that work for IGN and former editors on and writers on Twitter and just seeing them really get serious about like editorial ownership and journalism has been really refreshing because I would expect that kind of behavior from you know maybe a site like I don't know like Polygon or something that's like a little more sophisticated um but seeing that from IGN and seeing the community surround them and support them has been really uh refreshing and it's been I mean who knows what's going to happen at this point but you know, there's always talks about sites, news sites like unionizing and about editorial ownership. And this is such a serious topic happening right now. And seeing kind of the whole game space kind of rally around them has been really refreshing and gives me a lot of hope for, you know, sites that maybe I didn't think highly of in the past that now I have, you know, a new appreciation for. It's interesting you bring that up um, for a number of reasons. I mean, number one, uh, the Soviet Games podcast, I think, is totally in support of Palestine and what the Palestinians are going through right now. Um, we don't often swing political uh, as just a matter of course, but I think uh, that's definitely something worth talking about. The stuff that's going on over there is a horror show. And if there's anything that we can do to support those people, I think we should. Um but along with that, I think it's also kind of the changing face of the modern world. You know, I mean, I can remember a time way back in the day when I would jump on Twitter and the worst thing I would talk about is like whatever fucking stupid game was bothering me that day <laughs> or some stupid opinion that somebody dropped. And that would be like the thing of the day. Right. I mean, the time when I could jump on Twitter and all I was worried about was game shit is like, it feels like a lifetime ago. Like it's all about the Republicans, it's about the Middle East. It's about COVID. It's about whatever. Black Lives Matter. It's about trans rights. I mean, it's about so many things that are important and vital and things that we need to support. And we just don't, live in a world where you can ignore that stuff anymore. Not if you have a conscience and not if you want to be a good person. Uh, and I just, I, I miss that time when all I had to think about was games, but at the same time, I am never going to close my eyes to those things. And I don't think that anybody should or can, and we can't really relax until we, you know, have justice for people that deserve justice, have equal rights for people who deserve those rights, have safety and security for people who need it. And it's just, it's just a sign of the times that like so much shit is going down. We are living in such quote unquote interesting times right now that so much chaos and terror and badness like in every country all around the world like you just can't look at games and and pretend like the rest of the world isn't happening so i know that you know and we've gotten comments on this show specifically to the show saying hey we listen to your show because it's like our port and storm right like whenever the world is getting too much we we listen to your show because 
it, it gives us a, like a break, right? Like we serve like, you know, entertainment up, we give news up, we give jokes, we talk about games. And if somebody needs like an hour or two to just like disconnect from whatever horror they're facing in real life, like we're happy to do that. Um, but at the same time, like we also can't pretend like that's not going on. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, God, you know, and it, I, I do also support all of the people who got shit on by the, the owners, um, you know, like having their editorial power stripped away like, i think they even took down that post um and for those that don't know it was um the the editors of that site put up a post supporting um what's going on in palestine they also had a lot of links for like how you could give aid like financial aid and other things and i think it was like midnight that night that the owners of the site like took it down without letting the editorial team know super cowardly super dastardly like just really really awful um and they you know push back in response and other sites around the internet have have posted some of that same resources and same information in response and solidarity. So, uh, man, crazy, crazy times right now. But yeah, we do support the the Palestinians and we do support people's editorial integrity to be able to stand up and talk about things like this. I mean, that's what free speech is all about, right? It's not about wanting to take off your mask whenever you feel like you don't want to wear a mask. It's not really about wearing a gun wherever you want to wear a gun. I mean, if you want to talk about what's an important right, I mean, being able to speak your mind without the government cracking down or without somebody else squashing that especially when people are in need i mean that's what it's really all about as far as i'm concerned yeah i agree and yeah i mean i guess we did go off on a bit of a tangent but you know there's something to be said for using this because i do the same thing with youtube videos you know i'll be when i need to check out i will watch like you know some 20 year old girl do her makeup on youtube and that's like relaxing for me and i understand why people would come to the show and want to be you know and maybe wouldn't want to hear about this stuff but at the same time that shows I mean, you at least have to, like, acknowledge the kind of privilege you have to be able to, you know, just ignore that kind of stuff. But it is hard to try to stay involved with everything all the time because I often sit at my computer and scroll through Twitter. And it seems like, you know, I mean, for the past, gosh, like five years, you know, to this day, it's like there's so many humanitarian crises going on across the world. Um, and, you know, obviously within the United States at once that it just feels so... Um, so like incomprehensible and so difficult, you know, it's like, what the fuck do you even do? Like, it's hard. I just feel numb a lot of the time, but I think it's at least worth bringing up, even if it feels like as an individual person, you can't do a whole lot to really solve anything, but you know, at least talking about it and promoting it from a platform that we have is something important that we can do. Yeah, I agree, man. I agree. I mean, and, and to your point, I mean, the ability to simply take a break and listen to a podcast or even for us to be able to make a podcast is definitely a privilege, man. There's a lot of people out there who don't even have a fucking place to live or they're scared of getting bombs dropped on their head or they don't have, you know, electricity or running water. So how the world could they ever make a podcast? I mean, the, you know, I definitely want to recognize that we do have privilege and that we do have, you know, a good situation in many ways, um, even though it's not perfect here in America. We are definitely... Uh, you know, better off than a lot of people who are not so fortunate around the world. So I, I think it's worth recognizing that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it sucks because we are suffering from global issues and yet we are individuals and our power to affect change is fairly limited. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's frustrating to recognize these things, to see these things and not be able to do really anything about it. It's just, we are in some dark times right now on multiple levels. So, I mean, definitely recognize that. I definitely recognize the, the feeling of stress, of, of fear, of being surrounded by this stuff all day long. I mean, you. I mean, they call it doom scrolling for a reason, right? Like, you got to jump on Twitter. I mean, unless you're blocking and curating very heavily, 
you're going to be exposed to stuff that you probably are finding pretty worrisome or is something that is disturbing to you. So I get it for sure. Um, but we are not going to solve those issues today. Although I do agree with you. I do think it is worth bringing them up and we do, you know, we do have to talk about it once in a while. It's, we can't live in a bubble the entire time. So thank you for bringing that up, Corey Motley. And uh, if anybody listening would like to talk about that or have some comments for the show, we will definitely be open to that. Always looking forward to your emails for sure. Um, <clears throat> just to wrap up the housekeeping section here, uh, only one thing on my agenda. I'm going to just veer it back to games um, and we're going to talk about games for the rest of the show. So if there's anybody who comes to the show for your escape, I apologize. We will be getting back to the entertainment in just a minute here. Um, I want to just talk really quickly about The Longing. It is a game that I play. I am still playing, actually, but I talked about it on the show maybe two episodes ago. Are you familiar with The Longing, Corey? In true me fashion, you're bringing up a game that I've never even heard of. So please enlighten me. Excellent. I would expect no less. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Hold on. Can I guess uh, what the, it is? Is it like a freaking indie 2D pixel based roguelite or something? Is that what it is? Or have you have you switched genres on me, Brad? No, I still I that is still my genre for sure. You're only <laughs> half right on this one. Uh, <laughs> the Longing is an indie game. I believe it's from Germany. I may be mistaken. Um, started out as a short story and it got turned into a game. Basically, um, for those who don't recall, you play a little like a troll who lives underground in a series of caves and his job is to wake up the the king of the underworld in 400 days he the king is tired he needs to regain his energy and he's like okay i'm gonna take a nap for 400 days please wake me up at the end of 400 days and go and the king just like is sleeping and then you are left to your own devices in the underworld for 400 days this is real time days this is actual literal 400 days so it's longer than a year um, and what you do as this little troll guy is like you just find ways to kill time. You are just waiting to wake up your master. So you walk around in the halls and you pick up rocks and you put your toes in the water and you kind of just like spin your wheels and try to figure out what you can do for 400 days in real time. It is a very fascinating, um, really, really interesting game on multiple levels from a design perspective, from a philosophical perspective. I just, it's really, really interesting. Um, it is, however, extremely boring to play. <laughs> it sounds so, boring to play. <laughs> <laughs> it is really boring to play. It's also fascinating, but it's boring. But the problem that I had with the longing before was your, your character walks probably the slowest walking speed I've ever seen in any video game in my entire life. It is the slowest walking speed. And a lot of times he's just walking from point A to point B, or sometimes he'll have to like do a thing where he's like mining a crystal and it's like, oh, this crystal is really tough. It's probably going to take me like three days to get through this crystal. And he's not fucking around. It's literally three <laughs> days, right? <clears throat> so in the past, and I, I think they may have patched this in. I don't think this was there from the beginning. I was frustrated because I wanted to explore this game, but I didn't want to watch the paint dry. You know what I mean? Like it was like exciting as watching grass grow. So I think one of the recent patches, and I could be mistaken. If anybody knows I'm wrong, please let me know. But I think one of the most recent patches changed it so that when you tell your character to go do something, walk to this location, mine this crystal, do whatever, you can actually shut the game down completely all the way, play something else. And when you come back to the game, he will have done the thing that you wanted him to do. So like, for example, I was like mining a crystal. I didn't want to watch it for three days. I'm like, mine this crystal and I'll come back. And he's like, okay, shut the game off. I go play Monster Hunter for like three days, come back and the crystal's mine. I don't think that's how it worked before, and that was one of my complaints when we talked about it on the show originally. It is there now, and that was how the PC version functioned. It makes a lot more sense when you can do it that way, because if you only need to check in for five minutes and say, oh, thank you for this crystal, now 
walk to the other end of the cavern and I'll check back with you in two days and you don't have to watch him. That makes more sense, right? Because then it's like little snapshots over the course of a year rather than you, the player actually having to put in a year's worth of time, which is not appealing. So heads up to anybody who was curious about this. If you thought it sounded kind of neat, but you didn't want to watch the paint dry, jump into it now, tell the little guy to do what he wants to do. You can leave, come back and it's done when you come back. It totally makes the game a much different experience. I definitely recommend it now. And I am still going through this game in real time. I will be finished with this game sometime, I believe, in 2023. Oh, my God. Does that Okay, so does that mean you can, like, start the game and then just not play it for, like, a year and a half and then come back to it and, like, finish it? Yes, that is legitimately one of the endings. Oh you can God. simply turn on the game, do nothing, come back in 400 days, and end the game. That is 100% you can do that. That's actually kind of incredible. <laughs> It is it is the most bizarre experience. Um, I I don't know how to even review it. I don't know even how to handle it. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, obviously stuff happens. Things happen over time. Things get revealed. Things pop up. It's not just about watching the paint dry. There are things that you can do, but it's all very slow. It requires a lot of patience. Um, but this little tweak will help make this game much more playable. And I'm actually very excited about checking in like for five minutes at the end of my days. I actually kind of look forward to it now. So. There we go. That is my update for the logging. And that is all we have in keeping the house. Uh, Corey's house sitting on Carlos's side. His side is now clean. My house is clean. We are ready to move on to the main section of the show. Are you ready, sir? I have never been readier. <clears throat> I love to hear it. Loving that energy. We're going to keep it rolling. <laughs> all right. Here that's the top of show 233. Going to give a quick shout out, um, if you don't mind me starting off here, uh, about a game called Talisman. Uh, this is a real-life board game that apparently is pretty popular. Um, I think it's probably maybe more popular in Europe than it is America. Have you ever heard of or played Talisman, Corey, the board game? I have not, but I'm also not a board game aficionado by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, you know, I like board... I think I like buying board games because I like getting the pieces and I like all the colorful boards and the miniatures. Like it, it, it's always so cool and neat and I love unpacking them and looking at all the stuff you get, but man, like playing them is just like, I just, I never play them, dude. I never play them. It takes too much time. It's too hard to learn the rules. If you don't have somebody who already knows the rules, they usually take like several hours and I've got a young kid, you know, I mean, my kid is not that young, but still he's 12 now. So it's like his patience is not, infinite and i got a bunch of board games stacked up that i never play and i i've kind of given up on playing them but i do still have interest and this is a video game adaptation of talisman which i have heard but i've never played in real life um so what is it what is it i i don't know i can't say i can't explain it but basically the gist is it is an adaptation of a, of a board game in the most literal sense and what i mean by that is you start playing the game and what you see on your screen is like a virtual picture of what the actual board looks like as if you were looking at it on a table. So it's not like you're not in the world. The characters are not animated. You are like it is like looking at a board game on your TV is what it looks like, which to me is the absolute most boring way to ever do an adaptation. I don't know why you would do that. Um, you have cards, you have dice. The dice actually uh, well, not actually, but they, they virtually roll. Um, you have pieces you move around the board, but it looks just like you're playing a board game. So for me, who 
struggles to get into board games, um, having it play like this is not the greatest because there are some tutorials. They kind of explain a little bit, but not nearly as much as you would get from a friend if you invited them over for, you know, beer and pizza and a Friday night game night or something. It's, it's you know, I don't have anybody to play with, so I'm playing by myself. You can play solo, which is great. And you can look at the cards and read those if you want to. But I'm kind of hazy on the whole mechanics and I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to be doing. The tutorial could be a little bit better. And I feel like I feel like I really like the idea of board games being translated into video games, but I need them to like really take advantage of the medium, right? Like give me some animation, do some zooming camera shots, like, you know, jazz it up a little bit, give me some special effects, give me some extra extra tutorial help if I need it. You know, like I really want them to really leverage being a video game and to keep the the essence of the board game. For me, this is, um, it's too bare bones. Like I bet, I bet if I knew this game in real life, I would be like, oh yeah, this is fun because I can play it with friends online or I can just play it when I want to play it by myself. That's cool. But like, as someone who doesn't know this game, it kind of is like somebody handing me the box of the board game and being like, okay, go to it. And I'm like, well, okay. I struggled to do that already. And this is not really helping me that much. So it's not, a, it's not a criticism really. I mean, it is exactly what it says it is. It is the electronic version of Talisman. And if I knew Talisman, that'd be pretty cool. But as someone who needs a little bit more than that, I find it to be kind of lacking. And I wish that they had jazzed it up, right? Like action, um, explosions, or, you know, a little bit more automation in some of the rules or something. So I, I kind of struggle with it. I think if you like Talisman out there, you might want to check into it. As for me, this is not the kind of adaptation I like, and I probably will not put too much more time into it. Corey, have I sold you on this game? Uh, you have not, but the only way, I mean, I'm sure, like you said, for people that are familiar with the game, it's probably like cool to kind of have it in a virtual world. But yes, I yes. think for me, like if I were into this, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, this sounds like the kind of thing that would be cool if it were like a VR version and you could like sit and like your VR friends. Like, oh, you could see, now of, there's an idea. Yeah, That's an idea. Like you could pretend that you're like sitting around the table and you <clears> could like <throat> use the controller, you know, to reach out and like move the pieces or whatever to roll the dice. Like that would sound like a fun way to kind of. And I mean, I guess I don't know if the game has like online multiplayer or whatever as it is. So maybe you can kind of do that. But I feel like this could be one of those cool like futuristic like VR things where especially in, you know, the times we're living in now where you know, we're in a pandemic and it's kind of frowned upon to have like gatherings or parties or whatever, like a cool way to kind of sit down in a virtual space and play a game like this. But as is with the way that you're describing it, it does not really sound like my bag, but I'm also not a board game person. So it's kind of lost on me from the get. But yeah, like I imagine some sort of like VR adaptation of this being very cool. That is actually a cool idea. I, I'm not um, a fan of VR. I don't really find VR to be very appealing. But actually what you described actually does sound pretty cool because there are a number of, of board games that I would like to play, but I don't have a group. Like, it's like it's me and my wife, and we like to play board games. But a lot of board games like are like four or five people, or you need at least you know more than two. And I have lots of friends like in Europe or like you know other parts of America where maybe we would get together virtually – and if we could, like, strap on a helmet and see each other, you know, kind of sitting across the table from each other and <laughs> our various avatars or whatever looking at a board, that's kind of a baller idea. I kind of like that. Well, you know me. I'm here to provide the good ideas and innovation for the show because I know you're not going to do any of that, Brad. No, that is for damn sure. So if there are any developers out there listening, have that idea for free. Just send me a code when you get that up and running and we will definitely give that a shot. 
Uh, all right, cool, cool. Uh, that is Talisman, the uh, uh, the video game edition. Uh, it's, I believe it's on every platform. I think it's on PS5, PS4, Xbox, uh, definitely PC. So if you like Talisman, I bet you're going to think it's pretty cool. Uh, all right, Corey, over to you, sir. You've been playing uh, a little game that I like to call Mass Effect. Also, <laughs> other people like to call it that, too. It's, it's what it's called. Uh, I love this game. It's one of my favorite games of all time, but I do not have the time or bandwidth to replay it right now. But my wife has never played Mass Effect, so I bought her a copy. She's playing through it for the first time ever, and me watching her play it over her shoulder is a treat. I'm loving that so much, but I'm not. That's all I'm going to say right now, Corey. You have played Mass Effect. You are playing the what is it? The Ultimate Edition? What what is Mass Effect? The Legendary? Legendary Legendary Edition? Yes. All right, where are you playing it? And tell us all about it, sir. I picked this up at good old Target. Um, we've been really spoiled with video games lately. Like we had, we're talking about Resident Evil later, but Resident Evil Village came out, and then literally one week later, Mass Effect Legendary Edition came out, which is three games in one plus all the DLC and all that stuff. And I'm a big Mass Effect fan as well. Um, the interesting thing about Mass Effect is whenever it originally came out in 2007, I was in college. And I think, I mean, it came out on the Xbox 360. I had only had my 360 for maybe like two years when it came out. And all the promotional materials for it, for some reason, I just did not think I was going to like it at all. I thought, oh, it's, um, you know, weird RPG. It's not really my bag. I don't know if I was in a major like first person shooting like bro time in my life or whatever, but I did not think I was going to like it. And I remember renting it. I think I rented it at blockbuster <laughs> remember Whoa. blockbuster <laughs> we hopped in the time machine for a minute there yeah it was either blockbuster or i might have had game fly at that time i can't remember but i i got it some way or another or maybe i bought it and it was like really really cheap i don't i don't remember but i got my hands on it somehow and just absolutely fell in love with it i was not expecting to like it at all um, I didn't really know about Bioware before then. I wasn't familiar with like Dragon Age or I'd never played um, like Knights of the Old Republic. I know everybody loves that game, but I'm not really a Star Wars guy. So I um, I just didn't think I was going to like it. And I ended up just absolutely falling head over heels for it. And I played it in college. And then obviously I played Mass Effect 2 as soon as it came out. I played Mass Effect 3 as soon as it came out. And I have since... I believe I've played all three of them three times over at this point. I played, oh, wow. wow. Yeah, it's kind of insane. Like I played because I played all three just vanilla versions. And then I think a few years later, I think it was after I graduated college, I played all three of them again. And then I want to say like a couple, maybe like three years ago, I think I had I, I used my Xbox one to play them because I had I already owned them so I could just put the disc in and play it. And I think I ended up buying the rest of the DLC because there were some little DLC bits here and there that I had never uh, bought before because they released so many good DLC packs. And so I ended up, I think, buying all of the DLC I could get. And I played through all three of them again and played through all the DLC, which that was fun because there were DLC chapters I had never played before. So it was nice, you know, new bits here and there on all three of the games. And I've been very, very excited for Legendary Edition. And I bought it at Target when it came out uh, last week. I bought it on PlayStation 4. I'm playing it on a PS4 Pro. I'm playing it on a 4K TV. Um, thought about buying it on PC because I have since, um, maybe much to your chagrin, uh, Brad, I've kind of become a little bit of like a PC gaming. I wouldn't say a snob because I'm definitely not, but 
Um, I've definitely been playing PC games a lot more lately, but I decided, you know, to get it on the good old console experience so I can sit in front of my big old TV and play it. Um, at this point, I'm about, I think I'm like 13 or 14 hours into Mass Effect 1. Um, I have not dipped into 2 or 3 yet because I'm obviously going to play them all, um, you know, one after another, import my saves and everything into the next game. And just to be clear for everybody listening, I think all the Mass Effect games are all great however the second one is my favorite closely followed by the third and then the first one is actually my least favorite and i i don't like i know the first one is one of your favorite games of all time but for me and i feel like maybe this is a consensus in the gaming community is like when the first one came out it was definitely clunkier it was definitely leaned more rpg and a little bit more of an archaic way and so it just wasn't to me quite as finely tuned as two and three and by the time three rolled around it was like a full-on like third-person shooter like pretty much you know cover shooter from the get-go and i feel like the combat intensity of three is really just unmatched in the rest of the series but one is my least favorite but that being said i'm still playing the hell out of it like i'm 14 hours in or so and it's one of those games and i've talked about this way back on the podcast before it has the same effect on me that something like say like a fallout game does or maybe like dishonored or something where because it's you know kind of an open world game you the the story i will brief you lightly here for anybody who maybe doesn't know about mass effect i would certainly hope you'd know about mass effect if you're listening to the show but you play as commander shepherd um you can be a male shepherd or a female shepherd you can do the whole character customization thing and you're basically on a quest there um are there's an alien race this like uh cybernetic race called the reapers that are believed to um have been extinct but there's a threat that they're coming back and basically it's like you know all of the, the galaxy is at risk and you have to save it and it's a huge space opera it's basically like to me it's kind of like star trek the game in a way because you have all of these alien races and they all have their own different quirks and their different attitudes i would argue that much like star trek i feel like a lot of the alien races and Mass Effect, they definitely all skew a little too human looking for my taste. Agreed. Um, Agreed. I wish that they were a little more interesting because you have some really interesting races like the Hanar or the Elkor in the game. And for example, the Hanar are these weird like floating jellyfish things with these like really long tentacles. They're so interesting, but you only get to talk to a few of them in the game. Like you don't get one on your party. You don't, you know, I, I don't even, I would love to see a Hanar in combat as a matter of fact. I don't know if like it would like, have a gun on each of its tentacles or something (laughs) that just sounds so amazing to me but there's all these alien races so a lot of the game is about cover shooting um you have different classes you can pick from um i the first time i played it because i was a dumb uh gamer nerd i played it as a soldier which is just like the boring ass like white bread third person shooter person uh class but after playing through when i came back to it the second time around i started playing as the adept version which is kind of like half shooting half biotics because i came to understand that the biotic powers are really really fun and i love using them and i feel like the biotic powers are really underused and they don't have a lot of punch in the first game but in the second and third they get a lot better there's also like a tech focused class that can like hack and deliver like a combat drone and there's like a sniper class and stuff but i've only ever done soldier and adept because those are um the ones that appeal to me the most but um like I, I totally got off track but like i was saying with kind of like a fallout thing it happens in this game where every single time I turn it on, I keep having that phenomenon where I'm like, 
oh, you know, just just one more mission and I'll, I'll put it down. I'll save it and I'll stop it and then I'll do the mission and I'll be like, well, now that the mission's done, I have to go back to the Normandy and that's the ship you're on. So, like, I go back to the Normandy and then I'm like, well, you know, while I'm here, like, let me just check the galaxy map and see. And, you know, there's another mission and I'm like, okay, okay, one more, one more, that's that. And then I drop down on a planet and I take the Mako around and drive around and I'm like, all right, let's explore this planet. And then I do, like, whatever mission's on that planet. And then I'm like, okay, you know, all right, I'll stop. When I get back to the Normandy, I'll stop. And then that goes on for about four hours where I keep thinking that <laughs> the next mission is going to be the last one. And even though and it's like three o'clock in the morning, dude. Yeah, li- literally, like I've been up until like three in the morning playing it pretty much uh, every night this week over the weekend. And it just has that beautiful kind of open world, but still finely tuned flow. Because when I say open world, it's not like a GTA where you're like on one big planet. And you're just like driving or flying across town. You you go to a bunch of different planets and some of them you can land on and you can drive around on this kind of like small acreage of area. And there's like things you can mine and there's usually some kind of like secret base or some shit that you can go into and see what's going on and it just really sucks you in and there's a lot of great character work like you have a squad of people and you can choose two to go with you on any mission you can depending on what kind of shepherd you are you can romance different people and those romance options can stretch through all three games if you play your cards right and it's just um it's such a good game but the legendary edition i feel like i've been delivering such a huge preface on this i haven't even talked about the legendary edition yet but I mean, long story short, the Legendary Edition is, like, everything I wanted it to be. It looks better. They've done... I was watching a handful of behind-the-scenes videos on, like, YouTube and stuff about some of the stuff that Bioware had done. And they actually... I mean, I wouldn't call this... It's definitely not, like, a remake because all of the base mechanics are still there but instead of just up the textures and putting it back out they've done a lot of really good tweaks under the hood where you know there's a little bit of camera work that's different the controls are a little bit different um the, some of the areas i guess in the game they've redesigned a little bit like they've removed some walls that now that they have the processing power on the new consoles that they can render i guess larger areas so i watched one i think it was in like novaria this base on novaria in the game where There was like a room that had these walls up because on the Xbox 360, they couldn't like render the whole room. And now they've like taken those walls down and they've replaced like some lighting fixtures and they've done a lot of um, like color grading in some of it where I believe in the original version, the first mission on Eden Prime, the sky is kind of reddish and now it's more bluish, which that's definitely a taste thing. Um, but I feel like unless you are, I mean, I played through these games three times and I can't even nail down like every single little thing, like visual enhancement, unless you have like just come off of playing the original version or, you know, this game, like the back of your hand, I don't think you're really going to notice a bunch of the visual improvements, but they're definitely there. A lot of quality of life improvements that, um, make the game run smoothly. However, there are still, some bugs here and there. It has crashed completely on me one time, which was not fun, um, especially in the first game. Like I said, I haven't made it to two and three, but in the first game, there's still some weird 2007 era stuff going on where like sometimes the game auto saves, but like I died at one point and I lost like 20 minutes of progress the other night because I, I thought for sure the game would auto save in one spot and it did not. That was really disappointing. Um, Some of the movement is still a little sluggish. The facial animations, I mean, we're talking about 2007 level face animations here. So, of course, they're not going to be like uncharted or whatever. But the face animations, like the the textures on everybody look great. But 
the faces still look a little bit weird. And the first game, everybody looks kind of bug eyed, like their eyes are open really wide <laughs> and they all look I, weird. Yeah, totally. I had, I had forgotten how rough they look in that first game. I was, it was a little bit a little bit uh, shocking, mildly shocking. Yeah, it's definitely kind of jarring, like because we're just so used to the way things look now. But I think the second and third games, you know, uh, kind of honed that in a little bit and made them look better. But um, I haven't gotten there yet, so we'll see. But um, I mean, it's playing mostly like butter, uh, really enjoying it. it, plays well on the PS4 Pro. The only thing that I can kind of fault it at for a couple things. Um, first of all, the game is way harder than I remember it being. Like, I don't remember it being so difficult when I played it on the Xbox 360 back in the day. And maybe it was because I feel like difficulty is one of those things where in the moment you're frustrated, but then as soon as you beat the game, you're like, oh yeah, that was fine. Like it wasn't that bad, but there, I was playing on standard. I think there's four difficulty modes and standard is like the second lowest one. And I swear, like, every battle that I was getting in, like, gunfight, I was dying, like, five or six times over every single time because the gameplay is just not finessed in a way that I think is appropriate, where it, like, wants to be a cover shooter. The first game has, like, a sticky cover system, but then you have really powerful enemies that will just rush you, and so the cover kind of becomes pointless because if the enemies are rushing you from both sides it kind of defeats the purpose of it being a cover shooter and then your squad mates at least to me on standard difficulty they you can command them to do certain things but i usually just let them act on their own they're basically useless in standard mode and they die in every battle like four seconds in and i was getting really really frustrated but eventually i turned the difficulty down to casual which is the lowest mode and since turning it on a casual, it's been at like a cakewalk. And I mean that in like the best way possible because I've played these games three times over. I don't need them to be hard. I don't need them to be difficult. I want to play it just for pure enjoyment and for the action, for the story. And so I was actually really shocked with, and part of it might be because how clunky, you know, some of the controls are in the first game, but it's very, very difficult. And the other, the, I can think the last thing that, is bothering me a little bit about it. I think it just has a lot of very dated level design where a lot of the areas in the game just seem uh, like big for the sake of being big. Like you go to the Citadel, which is kind of like the main base where all the aliens live. It's kind of like your, your home base. And it takes for fucking ever to run anywhere. And all the hallways are really maze-like. Like there are some signs that point you around, but it's like really hard to get around. And the like commander shepherd who's supposed to be this like elite alliance navy like bad bitch she can only dash in combat for like four seconds before she gets tired and it just like doesn't really make a lot of sense to me but luckily um there's a fast travel system on the citadel so that solves that a little bit but even in some of the like main story missions when you go into like an enemy base or something the levels just feel too big and too maze-like for i guess like the sake of having more ground to play on and i f like i wouldn't expect them to you know cut all the environments down for legendary edition because that would be silly but it just the, a lot of the level design seems very dated and seems very awkward and confusing and a little hard to get around but other than that and the difficulty which the difficulty part is solvable um, I am having a blast. I'm probably going to finish the show and fire it up and play it for another four hours tonight until three o'clock in the morning. So, yeah, it's definitely excellent. Highly recommend it. If you've never played it, there's never been a better time to jump in because all three games are in it. They all look great. Um, 
they all control well, they've all been tweaked with good quality of life improvements, and all the DLC is packed in, and there's really, like, no better time to jump into it. So I highly recommend it, despite a few little complaints. Yeah, everything you said, ditto. I mean, this remains probably... It was my number one favorite game, if you take it as a series. Uh, my number one favorite game experience for many, many years. Um, not currently my favorite, but it's probably like at number two right now. So I really uh, have so much love for Mass Effect. It is interesting, though, like the things that you um, pointed out, I was kind of observing those myself as I was watching my wife play. And she was, you know, she was playing through it for the very first time. So she's like, man, where, how do I get to the thing on the Citadel? I'm a little bit lost. So I'm like, yeah, you know, that's right. This level design kind of blows because like, it's just a little bit confusing and it doesn't need to be. And some of the areas that she would go to to fight, she's like, where am I supposed to go? I'm like, yeah, I know it's kind of weird. It's kind of confusing, <laughs> but it's kind of, it kind of just shows how far we've come in that time, right? Like a lot of those things were kind of getting figured out at the time. Bioware was kind of making strides and kind of forging the path that other people would follow after they had done Mass Effect. So, you know, you got to kind of give it some slack and realize like it was uh, pretty revolutionary at the time i mean it made a huge splash it was just like a big success and went on to spawn those sequels so going back in time and seeing what they started off with is is a little bit strange um i, I do think this is a great package it's got all basically every part of the mass effect experience except for the multiplayer which i got to be honest with you i know it has a lot of fans out there i never really got into the multiplayer did you ever do the multi i never played it ever I played it a couple times and like it was okay, but I just I'm not big on multiplayer, so I never really spent much time. I know some people are sad it's not there, but you know, that aside, it's got all the stuff that you could ever want, the entire A to Z Mass Effect experience, which is really cool. Um looks great. I mean, other than the just the age of some of the stuff. I mean, they didn't do like a remake, it's just kind of a remaster, which is an important distinction, as you noted. Uh, but it's great. Uh, I think it um runs really well or as, as well as can be expected my wife has had some similar bugs as well uh, kind of like what you mentioned um she notices that the character ai is pretty bad and number one like she's with garris and tally and she goes into battle and she turns around and like terrace and garris and tally are both gone and she's like why am i on my own and they're like they're like back at the mako they're like walking face first into the mako and they forgot to like walk around the car and she's like, okay, come back. You know, you morons, follow me. Let's walk around the car and then follow me into battle. <laughs> That's happened more than a few times. So, like, you know, demerits for that. But when you when you take it into account that it's like it's however many years old and this is basically a re, uh, remaster, not a remake, you got to give it some slack. And and, and that aside, uh, storytelling is great. Characters are great. Jennifer Hale's voice as Shepard, one of the oh, like man. one of the all time best vocal deliveries of any game ever like i just love hearing femshep's voice it is to me the d definitive uh, mass effect character to play as i could never imagine playing as bro Shep. would never want to um and i just i just think it's great so if you have never played mass effect and i know that there are people out there who would never have i know there are if you're listening to this podcast and you've never played mass effect do yourself a favor play through it i think it's wonderful um definitely still one of my favorite experiences of all time Corey sounds like you are still neck deep in this and loving it so i think that's a thumbs up from both of us absolutely 100 percent. and even though i told myself when i started one that i would crit path one just to get to two because it's my favorite one you can bet your ass i'm still doing every single side mission in one <laughs> so i'm going you would be a it. monster if you didn't how could you skip even a single side mission i would be extremely disappointed if you did <laughs> Uh, and just just for the sake of uh, completion on this podcast, two is my least favorite Mass <sighs> Effect. I uh. I like them all; they're all great. But two is my least favorite. Not 
it, because number one, they took the hardest jag into doing the the cover shooting stuff. I felt like it was very jarring that they went from being kind of open and exploration to like they took away the Mako, they took away a lot of the side stuff, they took away a lot of the um, gear systems that I liked. Like they really like they dropped a lot of the RPG stuff that I really liked about number one. And I mean, perfectly honest, like while the last mission in Mass Effect Two is like fucking amazing. The story in Mass Effect 2 sucks, and the last boss is a joke. It is a joke. You cannot tell me you can take that last boss seriously. But the what makes it good, though, and what people like about it, and I'm guessing what you like about it, is the side stories. Like, they really double down or even triple down on the side stories with your characters. So, like, all the loyalty missions are, like, amazing. The characters are amazing. The, the time of the Normandy is amazing. Like, that part is ace. Like, that is super good, and that's what makes it good. But like the overall story with the collectors, this new race of aliens, and the final boss is dumb. It's just ugh, I, it's my least favorite. I like them all; they're all good, but it is my least favorite. I will agree with you that the last boss was kind of stupid. We can agree to that. Um, <laughs> but I do. I mean, I think I like because a lot of the stuff. Because I mean, I guess Mass Effect One. I mean, when you talk about like the gear systems, it was kind of a loot shooter at the time. Like, you go into battle, you get like all these different guns, you know, from your enemies or from crates that you find. And like at the time, I've come to appreciate loot shooters over time, but. At that time, and even now, like, when I'm playing Mass Effect, the last thing I want to do is, like, be sitting around in a menu, like, comparing the 50 weapons I got over the past hour. I mean, it's overdone. I I grant you, it's absolutely overdone in number one. I just feel like they they overcorrected in number two. Like, they kind of went too far and made it too light. And some of that stuff, it kind of felt like just, um, it, it went too heavy down the Gears of War route, which I wanted it to be a little bit more of an RPG than that. But yeah, I, I grant you that number one is, is too much in some respects. Yeah. And I can agree with that. I mean, I think them overcorrecting is kind of a popular opinion in the community, but I guess they kind of overcorrected in the ways that I wanted them to. So, <laughs> so I guess <laughs> I won on that one or something. All right. Well, okay. That is Mass Effect. I think regardless of whose game is favorite and who likes which story or whatever, whether you like it RPG, whether you like it shootery, I think we both like it. And that's really the bottom, the bottom line, the takeaway, the big thing to know. So check out Mass Effect, the legendary uh, edition and have a good time with that. All right, cool. Moving on. I'm going to give a quick word or two for a new game on the Switch called Space Commander War and Trade. This is a port from an iOS uh, platform. Uh, It is now on the Switch. Basically, it's one of those games, and I don't even know what that genre is even called. Maybe you know what it's called, Corey, where you play a dude in space, and what you're doing is you're buying goods at a low price, and you're flying to the other star system, and you're selling your goods at a high price. I don't know what that's called. I mean, space economy, space trading, privateering. I don't know what you mean. You You got a label for that? I have no idea what this would be called. Yeah, I don't know. Either. I don't either. There must be some good tag for it that I just don't know. But basically, it's one of those. There's there's many of them. Uh, and I think it's like a whole genre. People who love them really love them. So basically, you start off as this guy who's got a ship. Uh, you're in space. They're like, hey, bro, shoot some dudes. You shoot some dudes. And they're like, all right, now it's time to make some money. Buy this copper or buy this, I don't know, plastic stuff or whatever. And then fly three galaxies over, sell it over there, make some money, and then come back and do it again. I mean, it's fine if you like one of those. Um, I It's not ever been my favorite genre. And I have to say that this game definitely feels like an iOS game. Like, it's real 
shaky on the storytelling. Um, it handles okay because, you know, it was designed with a touchscreen in mind, so a lot of the stuff is fairly automated, which is fine. I mean, I don't really need, like, a hyper-technical combat shooter. Um, but it just really quickly devolves into kind of shuttling back and forth and buying low and selling high, and you'll do some side missions where you maybe shoot a couple of space pirates, or maybe you're going to take somebody, give them a ride from point A to point B, basically. Um, but that's kind of it. It's pretty par for the course, pretty standard. It looks nice. I mean, the graphics are pretty good. But other than that, it just didn't really hook me. And I felt like it's not exactly the kind of genre that I usually go to. So I wasn't going to dive headlong into this unless it really grabbed me, which it kind of failed to do. But this game exists. I think it's okay if you like the genre. If you want one more of these, it is definitely one more of those. And it's on the Switch. Sounds to me like the kind of thing you play for like 10 minutes a night before going to bed to wind down with. I mean, maybe. I mean, I, I think it's either that or maybe I think what they're shooting for is people who just do one more mission and then end up playing it for like six hours in a row. Because like I know a really good one of those can do that to some people. I've had some friends who will message me at like three o'clock in the morning and be like, oh, my God, I started playing this game at 12 noon and now it's like three o'clock in the morning. But I made a million dollars, you know, so like I guess if it hits you the right way, you just get sucked into it doing your your space uber uber eats or whatever but uh yeah not not for me specifically but i think if you like the genre this is pretty acceptable and pretty good on the switch if you need it on the go so there you go space commander war and trade and i gotta give one more uh, mention of another game before we dive into resident evil here uh i want to give a mention to death crown just came out recently it's on ps5 xbox switch pc i think it's on all the platforms the developer describes it as a one-bit graphics game, and I, I guess I kind of agree with that. Essentially, it's a real-time strategy, which is a genre that I don't play very often. I don't have a lot of experience in, but I saw the graphics for this game, and I'm like, God damn, I got to play this because this looks fucking amazing. It's basically black and white. Um, very, very like detailed pixel work uh, that kind of looks like pencil sketching. Like If you went to like back to junior high, when you were listening to like heavy metal and you were feeling like really emo and stuff and you scribbled pictures on top of your, your three ring <laughs> binder or something like that's kind of what it looks like a little bit, but I mean that like in a good way, like totally not an insult. I think it's awesome. I think it's really cool. Um, the graphics just looked amazing. And I took one look at this. I'm like, I don't care what this is. I need to play this cause this looks fucking dope. Um, but it's a real time strategy, super streamlined, super simplified. Um, no menus, no stats or anything. You just have three buttons, one button, creates a tower that is used for defense one button creates a mine which generates resources and one button creates a grave which spawns skeletons that's all you got it's just those three things each one is mapped to a specific button you start the game and you are just like laying down mines and getting resources and putting down some crypts and like spitting out some skeletons putting up some targets or towers to like defend yourself like the gameplay is super basic but in a very positive way there's there's nothing that gets in the way of it right it is very it's right there you know what you're doing you know what the, the action is there's no confusion about what's happening you just you're just doing the game but on top of that it just looks fucking amazing like the graphics are so strong um the story is basically about a king who tries to steal death's crown in order to avoid dying death doesn't stand for that and so it's on and they just like kind of go at it in a series of battlefields um, it's just so fucking cool. I love the graphics. It kind of reminds me of something that would have played during like, um, liquid television on MTV back in the day. Did you ever see liquid television? Maybe that's before my time. Eon flux, maybe. Oh you yeah. Eon yeah. Flux? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, so the show that hosted Eon Flux, and I'm sure there are people listening going, what the fuck is Brad talking about? I don't know. <laughs> this old dude is like doing archaeology on the podcast right now. Look up Liquid Television. Uh, it was a show that was on MTV, pretty edgy animation back in the day. And they were host to a show called um, Eon Flux, which was also like, super popular when it came out about a s- super special female secret agent who got killed at the end of every episode. It was pretty mind-bending and nuts. But like the reason I bring up those influences is because this – game kind of gives me those same vibes of like really edgy kind of dark like um nihilistic even a little bit and just like not super friendly um in a way but like in a good way where like it's just really like it's doing its own thing and it's all about skeletons and death and i i kind of imagine like a heavy metal soundtrack playing in the background even though there's not um but i just i just love the vibe of it like it's just really working for me like aesthetically um, the gameplay is super streamlined. I think it looks dope. Um, and I got to say, this is gonna this might shock you a little bit, Corey, but I, I finished the game. It's a pretty short play. I mean, you can probably get through all the levels in about, I don't know, two or three hours, something like that. Finished the game. What did I do after I finished the game? I immediately restarted and finished the game again. Oh, my like God. Like back-to-back plays. I never do that, you dude. Have you ever? I literally never do that. I never do that. And I just had such a great time playing this game. Like, I just thought it was so fun to play. And the visuals were so strong, and I just really liked the vibe. And I just was like, man, I'm gonna, I rolled credits, but I just wanna play this again. And I totally fucking played it again. I never do that, and I think this game is great. I love Death Crown. Um, I, I just think it's so cool and so neat and so unique, and I'm really glad that I spent time with it. Well, that sounds good. The only thing, um, I don't really have much of a response to this other than I'm shocked that you started playing it again, but. The only thing whenever you were talking about that game that really threw me for a loop was when you were like, and the last button raises skeletons. I was not expecting that. (laughs) (laughs) You got to have your soldiers. And if you're playing as death, I mean, that's what you got. You got skeletons, I suppose. So anyway, I love Death Crown. I think it's super great. I think it's out for like $15. Maybe it's $12. Um, My one word of warning is don't play it on the Switch because these graphics are meant to be on a bigger screen. It does not translate well to the Switch. Like, you'll be able to play it, but you're not going to have the optimal experience. Don't do it on a small screen. Play it on, like, your TVs or get it on the Xbox or the PS5 or PC, whatever. Uh, uh, don't do it on Switch. Other than that, I love it. I give it a huge thumbs up. That is Death Death Crown uh, available now. Okay. That's all the stuff we had to get through. Now we are on to the main event and the reason you texted me and got on the show in the first place. Resident Evil village and it feels weird to me to not say resident evil 8 although people do call it that but they they play that little game in the font where the v i l or is it or no it's it's i l l no wait ah roman numerals my enemy it's it's v i l l is a different color than the rest and if you look at the color then it's eight in roman numerals god i'm such an idiot people people know that i don't know roman numerals now i'm ashamed um so Resident Evil 8, also known as Resident Evil Village. Uh, Corey, I know that you were probably going to play this. You you like the horror games a lot more than I do. I'm not surprised that you played this. I am surprised that I played this because I don't do horror games. I don't like being scared. I don't enjoy those kind of things. I did not play Resident Evil 7, um, and I don't really do anything um, that's spooky. But the FOMO on this one was real strong. I mean, number one, I'm a sucker for big girls. Uh, I do love a big girl, and... <laughs> It's got the biggest girl of them all in this game. And I'm like, well, how can I say no to that? That's hard for me to say no to. Um, 
I am I am on record as liking Big Girls. Other than that, I mean, everybody in the world was talking about it, and everybody seemed to be having a really good time. And I just started feeling like really lonely and sad. And I'm like, man, everybody's playing this game except for me. And I, I kind of don't think I would like it, but maybe I should try it. And mm, and I I caved against my better judgment. I didn't think I should. But I did, and I got to say, I ended up having a pretty great time with it. So I am very excited to talk about Resident Evil Village with you, my good friend. I am going to turn this over to you. Why don't you give us a quick, I don't know, quick nutshell about what this game is about. Oh, also, let me lay down on the ground rules. I apologize. I apologize to everybody. I apologize most specifically to you, Corey. <laughs> um, we're going to do this in Experience Points podcast fashion. Um, shout out to George Albor and Scott Juster of the Experience Points podcast. I'm a big fan of their work. I love their show. If you have never listened to their show, give them a listen. They do a great show. Um, but I love what they do, and I'm stealing it right here and now. So we're going to first talk about Resident Evil in just the generalities, like the mechanics, the basic premise, uh, the action, you know, what it feels like. We're going to give like a give, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. Do we like this? Do we not like it? We're not going to spoil anything. But we will get to about halfway in the chat, and then I will say, spoiler warning, and from that point forward, we will talk about the story beats that are spoiler-heavy, twists and turns, surprises, anything like that. So if you're if you're not playing Village yet and you think you're gonna, listen to the first part of this podcast right now. We're going to talk about just general stuff, no spoilers, and then you can bounce when I give you the spoiler warning, and then you'll just get, you know, the basic experience. Come back to the show when you've played it and see what we thought about the rest. And of course, if you don't care about being spoiled or if you've already listened to the show, feel free to ignore the warning and just uh, listen to the whole thing. But for right now, Resident Evil Village, you are safe. There is no spoilers right now. It's just general stuff. So Corey, keep it spoiler free for the moment and let's talk about Village. All right. That is something that I can agree to. Um, Let me set the scene for the game. Um, So this is going to be a little weird because like you said, you haven't played seven and Village is a direct sequel to seven and seven uh as those might remember kind of set a new um i don't even know what the word is it took resident evil in a bit of a different direction because resident evil has always traditionally been a third person survival horror game obviously started back with the original resident evil with fixed cameras it was much more horror focused it was much more puzzle-y and then as the games went on most notably with four they became more action-packed and so four five and six were more like pretty much like over-the-shoulder third-person shooters, pretty much. And 6 was this whole ridiculous Hollywood blockbuster with zombies action game, which I stand by it being, like, pretty good, but there's a lot of, like, bad shit in it. And I feel like 6 gets a little bit of a bad rap, but whatever. Um, It's, like, my least favorite of the modern ones, but I still think it's fine. And then 7 kind of took a a whole new direction for the series. It was the... um, the game is in first person, which to be, f- uh, to be, I guess, accurate, it's not the first Resident Evil that's been in first person, but it's the first Resident Evil that's not like a light gun-esque first person. So this one the is... The first big budget mainline series yeah, game that was in first person. definitely. So it definitely took a lot of inspiration from, you know, something like PT or Outlast, where um, Seven is much more... I'm not going to give too much away because I don't want to spoil this either, but Seven is just much more... It's kind of a return to classic Resident Evil. A lot of it takes place in, like, a house, uh, much like the mansion from the old Resident Evil. And it's more, a little more puzzle-based, but it's a lot more um, kind of cramped and kind of focused and um, kind of intense and dank and gross. And it's, it's wonderful. I love Resident Evil 7. I have 
some pretty big issues with the story, but we're not going to get into that here. But the gameplay, when the game cutscenes and stuff get out of its own way, the gameplay is like marvelous. I've played it. I think like three times over on PlayStation 4. Wow, I've played it okay. two times over on PC, oddly enough. Oh my God, um, you played it five fucking times? I've played it several times. And oh, there's wow. a really good DLC for it. Um, Chris Redfield appears in the game and he has his own DLC chapter, which I think is a really great DLC. Um, but even though Chris is in it, he's very much divorced kind of from all of the crap that Chris Redfield has been in because it's kind of this new... Weird chapter, um, basically the game, you're in Louisiana, which is interesting because I live in Louisiana. Um, you're in a fictional town of Louisiana. You play as a, a guy named Ethan, who is what I can only describe as the untoasted white bread of Resident <laughs> Evil video game protagonists. Um, oh, you are not kidding. He dude. is, you without a doubt, the most bland, boring, obvious, dumb, just run of the mill. Like, I swear the guy's a captain. He looks like a Bitcoin investor is he what he did, looks yeah, like Yeah, he does. He just, he's just so boring. But that's kind of beside the point. But basically, he's happily married to his wife named Mia. She somehow gets kidnapped. Um, it ha- The premise of it is very Silent Hill 2-esque, actually because she he thinks she's dead and then a few years later he gets this random like video message from her in his email or something and so she's like help i'm in louisiana um you know come save me or whatever and so he tracks across the country to go to louisiana it turns out that there's this family of kind of like these very strange like backwoods kind of hillbilly people that um, he thinks have taken her hostage And of course, there's, you know, some kind of biohazard thing that comes into play because it's a Resident Evil game. So, of course, there's something like that in it. Um, Not all is as it seems, but a lot of it is actually pretty grounded. Like you're not, you know, punching a boulder in the middle of a volcano like in five. You're not flying (laughs) helicopters through downtown Tokyo like in six. You're just in this really gross rundown um, house in Louisiana. It's just like the, the, the atmosphere in it is really just a chef's kiss. It's wonderful. And so I'm not going to spoil, obviously, how the game ends, but I will say that 8, a Village, the one we're talking about today, is a, a more or less a direct sequel to that. And it stars Ethan. You're back in the role as Ethan. However, instead of being in the United States, you are now living in this kind of Eastern European... Um, like on the outskirts of this village, obviously the game is called Village. Um, it's very snowy. It's very cold. I personally think it's a really interesting locale for Resident Evil. Um, a lot of it is outdoors, which is refreshing. Um, it is a little, uh, a little kind of bland looking because a lot of it it's snowy, so it's kind of brown and gray and white. But at the same time, like I wouldn't expect like Resident Evil, other than maybe five, aren't really known for being like colorful and neon or whatever. So I kind of let that slide. But for one reason or another, which I uh, will not divulge, uh, basically Ethan finds himself in the middle of this kind of um, sort of uh, cult like village in Eastern Europe. He's on his own. He's trying to fight to save someone or figure out kind of how to both save a person he's after and get out of the village and survive. Basically, there are different types of monsters around. And as Brad mentioned, there is the giant vampire lady who's in it, um, which much buzz was made about her. I think 
Capcom really kind of accidentally struck gold with introducing her in marketing materials because she has been memed to hell and back at this point. And I think for good reason, like sometimes that kind of stuff annoys me with marketing, but I really think the audience just kind of ran with it. Um, but it, oh, dude, the hentai game is so strong. Let me tell you. <laughs> so like basically he ends up in this village um, and I, I don't know how much I want to divulge here. I feel like I'm going to like stop here. Yeah, but, just okay. stop right here because we're going to accidentally spoil something. <laughs> but yeah, that's he's a good in enough village. Thing. He's fighting to get out. He might or might not be trying to save someone. There might or might not be some kind of cult happening um, I've seen this comparison a lot and I agree with it that village is kind of like the perfect middle ground between four and seven, which I think that's a pretty apt description. Um, Brad, you can elaborate if you think so or not, but, um, I came away from this really liking it and we can get into some details in a second, but I thought this game was just, it was like everything I wanted it to be more or less. I was rarely disappointed Really enjoyed it. Uh, definitely a little more action focused. Seven is a little more claustrophobic and horror focused. Um, but I'm really glad you played it. And I, I was worried that you would hate this game. If I'm being completely frank, I thought we would come to the show <laughs> and I would be like, oh, my God, let me gush about it. And you'd be like, oh, like this game fucking sucks or whatever. So I'm glad you liked it. But I will turn the mic to you so you can fill in the holes and tell me what you thought. And we can do some surface level stuff from your end. Yeah, you know, I ended up really, I ended up really liking it a lot um, by the end of it. I wasn't sure what to expect, and to be honest, I wasn't sure I was going to make it through because, as I've said many times in the show, my fear level, my fear tolerance these days is like nil. It is in the toilet, dude. I get scared in games. I don't like feeling scared in games. I don't like that feeling of disempowerment or being chased or anything. So I wasn't sure. I mean, I was, I was afraid I was going to throw my sixty bucks in the garbage, right? Like I get through like <laughs> half an hour and then I have to bail because I'd be too scared. Um, but I will say that it does not. I have not played seven. Um, but I liked, I liked this a lot and I, I appreciate that it is a mix of horror and, and a lot of action. There's like way more action than I thought there was going to be, which I, for me was good because like when I'm shooting things, I've got six guns, I have plenty of bullets and I'm shooting monsters. Like that's, that's fine. I have no problem with that whatsoever, but it's like when you're on the run and hiding in a closet and you have like only one life kit left and like something's chasing you. Like that's what I don't like to play games. So this worked for me in a good way because I feel like there are definitely horror elements, but for me, ultimately it felt more like an action game. Um, like maybe three quarters action, one quarter horror of what I would define as like actual horror. Um, and that worked for me, but I really liked it a lot. And I will say, I'm not a big fan of first person games either. In general, it's not my preferred way to play a game. I like third person a lot better, just personal preference. Um, so I wasn't sure if that was going to work either, but that ended up being okay. The thing that I, I find is interesting, let's talk about the good stuff first, like mechanically. What I like about this game, one thing that I really thought was interesting was the structure of the game, which I absolutely had no idea about until I started playing. So like they, they call it village for a good reason, because you get to this village and it is like basically a hub, which I didn't expect. Like I thought, you know, most Resident Evil games that I've played in the past, I played all of them except for seven, you know, are, are not not like this. Like you don't have an open world. You don't have carte blanche to go back and forth between areas. That's pretty unusual for a Resident Evil game. I mean, maybe seven's like that. I don't know. But the rest of them are not. And so when you get to the village and you find out like, oh, here's like all these doors that I can't open. I'll open them later. And oh, here's an obvious shortcut. That's going to bring me back to the village when I go to some other random level I haven't gotten to yet. And here's some gates that I'm going to go through later. Like it was interesting to use that as the hub. And as you played through the game, more and more of the village became accessible. I thought that was pretty cool. And how the four major areas that you end up going to 
are just kind of branching off of a central hub. Neat design, and I, I really like how they kept incorporating the central location. So it felt like you were in a place and that you had pretty good mastery of the place, and I had a pretty good sense of where things were, and it felt like things were really in a place. It didn't feel like you were just randomly warping to some other random level. Like It felt like it all kind of connected pretty well, kind of like in a Dark Souls-ish fashion. Um, so I thought that was pretty good. I mean, what did you feel about having this hub design? I feel largely the same. Um, <clears throat> much like you, I mean, I wasn't really sure what to expect going in, but I think the way that they sort of centered, because it's almost got like the open world section and then kind of like the dungeons that you go in and out of. And I really appreciated that level design because every time you come back to the village, there's always something new to find. There's always some new sort of like treasure or loot that you can find. There's often perhaps like a new enemy around. So you don't, it's, it's kind of a safe hub, but there's also maybe some threats here and there, um, depending on when you come back and you know, what chapter you just finished. But I was really impressed with the way that they sort of laid everything out. And I don't really think you're wrong by saying that, I like I can't recall a Resident Evil that's been like this before. Like seven, you kind of have some free reign of like exploring the house and everything, but there's not really like I mean, it's similar, but just on a smaller scale. But village like the village itself actually feels very big. And even though I've played through this game twice already, um, I, every time I came back to the village after like a dungeon area, I would still get lost in that fucking village. I would have to look at the map all the time because <laughs> like, even though it's accessible and I like that and it's generally pretty safe. Um, I was looking at my map all the damn time because there's just like winding paths. Sometimes you have to go through a house to get to a different area of a path yeah. or, you know, climb under something. And I do like that as you keep coming back to the village, sort of like you said, like different kind of shortcuts and stuff unlock, or maybe you'll come back with some key you didn't have before and, you know, be able to unlock some house and it gives you a shortcut that it was very cool. But I still got lost a lot in the village, even though that's not really a complaint because I liked, you know, kind of continuously feeling like I was, there was always something new to explore, you know, always kind of having to reference my map. Like I'm not afraid of looking at a map in a video game. Like sometimes that can be really engaging for me and, um, yeah, I just really appreciated um, the way that they paced everything. I know I don't want to get into spoiler territory, but I've heard complaints about the overall pacing of the game. And I didn't really. Read. I'm surprised by that. Yeah, I was, too, because I didn't really read any reviews or watch any videos about it until after I finished it. And like I have watched like a couple YouTube videos and like read a couple things about it. And it seems like everybody is like, you know, talks about I'm not going to say which part, but there's like, you know, a certain section where. Um, they think it's kind of drawn out and everything. And I, when I played it, I was like, this pacing is excellent. Like it just kind of crescendos really well. It has really wonderful ebbs and flows and all of the sort of dungeons that you go to, they all have their own flavor. And some of them kind of pull from old Resident Evils and feel like an old game and some pull more action and um, some are more horror focused, some are more you know, maze focused or action focused. And I just thought that it, it constantly felt fresh to me and, and coming back to the hub world in the middle, um, you know, gave it a good sense of familiarity, even if I didn't always feel safe. But I just thought that the way they set up the world and the pacing, like it was just so good. I was not disappointed in the pacing at all as I played through it. I, I agree with you. I thought it was actually like exceedingly well paced. Um, I did not find that there was dead time. Um, I felt like I always had something to be working on. 
there was like little side quests and stuff. I mean, I felt like like each area, like you said, had its own theme, had its own flavor, and I appreciated that because each one was different than the last. And I, you know, when I got through the first main chunk, I'm like, okay, that's good. I hope I don't have to do that again. And you don't, <laughs> like, you don't really have to do that again. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but like, I, I just didn't want to do like ten more hours of the same thing, right? And you don't, like, I mean. I think the first area and the last area do have some echoes of each other. The second area is its own wildly different thing. And the third area is, again, wildly different of its own thing. So I really feel like you got a good sampling of, like, all the different things that Resident Evil can do. Like, all those are kind of echoes of stuff they've done in the past, but it's all wrapped up together. And you kind of go through it all. So it's like this little, like, little flavor tour of, like, what Resident Evil can be, which I thought was really neat. I really appreciated that. Um, another thing that I really liked a lot were like the gamey bits, which I didn't hear anybody talking about. And I mean by like like just video game ass shit that they throw in there for you to do. Like I was expecting to be scared the whole time and I started playing this. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This is gamey stuff. Like there's a bunch of little wooden goats. You got to find the wooden goats and like shoot the goats. There's a side quest where you have to find different exotic meats and you have to find the animal to get the meat. And it's just like you don't have to do it. It's like a totally separate thing. There are these little puzzles where you – uh, have a ball and you drop a ball in this little maze. It's like a little statue thing and you kind of rock it back and forth and like play pachinko with this ball. Um, there's like little treasures that like show up on your map and it's like, yeah, there's treasure chests. Go find the. I mean, it's gamey <laughs> ass shit, dude. Like you can't, you can't be peeing your pants with fear when you're like, oh, I'm doing a ball puzzle and I shot a wooden goat and I'm going to find a treasure chest. Like they, they do these little side areas which are not required and you can just do them if you want to. And I thought that was so cool, like just doing like, these little micro, micro side quests for like a better gun or some reward or something kind of like engaged the, the gameplay aspect of my brain where I wasn't living in the whole, I am in this experience and I am immersed and I am scared. It was just like, oh, I'm just, I'm doing stuff with, with agency and I'm choosing to go into this fight because I know I'm going to get a good reward and I'm going back and forth and doing like all these little extras that I think are just, they're kind of just fun. Like they're just fun. They're not scary. They're not gross. They're just something to do. I really liked those bits. What, how did you feel about those? Yeah, I, uh, I really like those too. And that kind of like echoes what I was saying about, you know, cause a lot of that stuff kind of happens in the hub world when you come back to it. So it's like after you've been through either maybe like, an intense like exploration dungeon or like an intense like kind of scary dungeon or maybe like a really action focused dungeon you kind of get to like turn your brain off a little bit and i mean that in a good way where you like come back to the it's like relief it's like the pressure's off for a minute yeah Yeah. so it's not because like one thing that i could maybe and i think this is a good thing about resident evil 7 but one thing i could leverage about 7 is that like it is it, it is more often pushed toward claustrophobic horror than it is action, even though there are some like actiony bits in it. And I, I appreciate that. Cause I mean, I like horror games a lot more than you do. So I like the feeling of, you know, constantly checking the corners, constantly moving slowly. Cause I'm scared about what's going to be in front of me and, you know, monitoring my ammo and all that stuff. But, <clears throat> but village kind of brought this, uh, this, these different, um, I don't know, like genres together where it's like, once you're finished with this kind of like really arduous, dungeon area you come out of it and you can just like play the fucking game you know and like go explore stuff and like kind of be silly and i also really liked that they brought the weapons vendor back although i mean there's a whole discussion to be had about how grotesque and inappropriate the uh shopkeeper is in the game but um the fact that they brought back the shop where you have like all these guns at your disposal because seven there was a much tighter focus on only having like you know, like two handguns and, you know, like I one or two shotguns. But in this game, it's like 
you you've got the choice as you play through the whole game of having like several pistols several <laughs> shotguns and you know you can pack a pretty good arsenal yeah for sure. it's pretty yeah. intense and you know you have like fucking like pipe bombs and like mines that people can you know step on and blow up and it definitely lends itself to a much more arcadey experience and i know you probably won't do this but like i've played through uh village twice already i've already started a third playthrough as a matter of fact and the game kind of lends itself because it has new game plus so it lends itself to that like completionist thing where you know you beat the game because when i beat the game the first time there were guns that i didn't even buy that i didn't even touch but like all your money carries over to the next game so when i came back to it i could buy like you know the secret bonus weapons that you unlock from finishing the game and then just other standard weapons that are there that i couldn't afford or i didn't want to buy so you know it kind of keeps things fresh because you're kind of you know, once you feel like, oh, I'm getting maybe tired of this pistol that I'm using, the game's like, well, here's a new one for you if you want to buy it. And then you can upgrade them. You can buy ammo. You can, you know, level them up. You can upgrade the firepower. You can buy a bigger clip. And I really liked how it balances that, you know, kind of more serious, like it, like silly Resident Evil story stuff right, with just right. like the straight up, <clears throat> like, here's the video gamey arcade shit. And I think they really just did it perfectly. I, I totally agree, dude. And that absolutely plays into a large part of why I was able to make it through the game, right? I mean, number one, your observation about um, the, the arcade and the play of the village as compared to, like, the potential horror of the dungeons. It's a good balance, right? So, like, whenever I was I was starting to feel like, okay, maybe this is getting a little bit too intense for me, the segment would be over and I'd be back to the village and it's like, oh, okay, I'm just killing a couple zombies or whatever, no big deal. And, like, the pressure was off and then I could, like, do some gaming shit, find a treasure chest <laughs> or go to talk to the shopkeeper or whatever – and like it would just give me like a chance to like mentally like refresh and come back and then I would feel ready to take on the next section. And then it would like kind of delve a little bit into the horror or scary parts sometimes. And then you come back to it. So I think that was really, really masterful pacing. Um, we talked about it on the show uh, a couple episodes ago, but I read an interview with one of the developers of Resident Evil and he said that a lot of the feedback they got after seven was that it was too scary. A lot of their core fans felt like it was too intense and it was too fearful for them and it, it it kind of missed some of that action feeling that people really do want from resident evil so he's like okay so this is like you said a good compromise between the horror scariness of seven and the action of something like six or five we want to kind of get it like in the middle to please the, the biggest amount of fans and i think they did a great job so as someone who initially perceived seven to be too scary for them to get me back in and actually play the whole thing and then to even have a good time on top of that i think was really masterful design um totally agree about the guns and stuff i mean having the guns having those options having a quick breather talking to the shopkeeper that was all great and just really contributed to like the gameplay side of it where it wasn't just me crawling through dark environments with like no resources <laughs> which is something i probably wouldn't have been around for so i think that is all really good stuff i really like it a lot um i will say though okay so let's talk about a couple things that i didn't care for so much and then you feel free to chip in um number one i feel like ethan is not mobile enough um <laughs> i feel like i really wanted some kind of a dodge or something i realize this is not like your balls to the wall action but like a couple times i would find myself surrounded by enemies and i'm just like okay dude like i can move faster than ethan is moving i can roll a little bit even my chubby overweight middle-aged <laughs> self like i can I, i'm a little bit more mobile than this this bitcoin investor right like i can do something 
that this guy cannot. I was a little bit frustrated by that. So there is a quick turn, which I didn't discover until about like five hours into the game. So <laughs> fuck off, Capcom. You should have told me about that at the beginning. Um, that was nice when I discovered that. But overall, how do you feel about Ethan's mobility and that aspect of it? I kind of agree. Um, I think because I had come off of seven and I knew what he felt like there, um, it lines up. But the interesting thing about village for me is that they even make it a point really early in the game to be like, Oh, well, after the Louisiana incident, we gave like military training to Ethan (laughs) and they try to make it sound like he's he's some like fucking commando and like all the only military training he got that translated into the video game was like in eight. There's a there's like a a guard button where he puts his arms up, which that's in seven. But in eight now, if you guard right after you can like kick an enemy away from you, that was not in seven. And so I'm like, wow, what great training they gave him. He can now kick an enemy away from himself. U.S. military secrets laid bare for everyone to find out here. And I, I never use the guard, dude. Did you ever use the guard? I did. I didn't use it as much in 7 just because I always forgot that it was an option. In 8, I definitely used it. I mean, I didn't use it a ton, but I used it more than maybe I thought I would. Um, but usually if I were surrounded by enemies or whatever, I would just like either kind of run away or I would I'm always like backing up slowly as enemies are sort of you know crowding around you um because I noticed that this uh like there was kind of an enemy behavior pattern where there was a thing where like if an enemy was coming toward you because it kind of does the thing that like four does where the enemies will kind of run up to you but then they will slow down because they're not just going to like run up and cut your head off but so they give you a little bit of breathing room but they still move erratically enough to make them difficult to aim on which I think is great but I would notice that as enemies were coming into me as long as I was like slowly backing away from them their first strike would like never hit me like they would always hit the ground in front of me so um, especially with more of like the zombie-ish enemies um, with the lichen dudes those were a little bit different they would sometimes just run up and like bite my hand off but um with the skeleton dudes uh they would pretty much like always give like a giant swing of their sword or if they have a weapon in their hand and as long as i was just slowly backing up they would always miss me and then that would leave them pretty much um open for like a counter shot to the head or whatever so i think coming off of seven i was just a little more used to his mobility being limited but i think it's really silly that they sort of call out that they gave him like advanced military training and i mean yeah he's like he has more weapons and he's more familiar with them and more capable with them from just like a shooty bang perspective than he was in seven but at the same time like all of that military training equaled out to him being able to kick an enemy away whenever he after he yeah. like blocks so i thought that was a little bit silly i mean i call that junior high school training that's not really military <laughs> training for me so that was that was something i felt like needed a little bit i mean not crazy i didn't need him to be like an action superstar but like his his limited mobility felt a little bit unrealistic to me um so that was slightly frustrating it wasn't a huge issue but there was a couple times when i'm like oh fucking god i wish i could like roll out of the way of this thing or something um one other thing that i really i my biggest complaint about the game and i and to be clear i like this game a lot way better than i thought i was going to but one thing that i really dislike um is the enemy design i think the enemy design is garbage in this game i really don't like it and to be specific um just the lack of color and the lack of specificity in the designs i think the village itself looks good like snowy gray you know, that's all fine. That makes sense. I think the individual, you know, dungeon areas, um, for lack of a better term, those all look great too. But what I don't like is the enemies themselves because there are many enemies 
where they are just all black or they're all gray or like super dark brown. Like they don't have any variation in their color. They don't have any interesting textures going on. Some of them have like a lot of like weird hair effects that just looks <laughs> weird and messy. And they have these really strange undefined bestial faces. Like they call them lichens. And there was a little bit of like wolfiness in some of the PR. Like if you look at the cover art of the game, um, the image alongside of Chris Redfield is like a wolf. Um, they don't look like werewolves to me. They just look like these weird, just undefined dark things. And I'm like, okay, if these were like, they would, they would have some color to them. Maybe not their skin, maybe their fur, but maybe their clothes, like maybe their skin is dark um, or brown or black or furry or whatever. But like, they just were all like really monotone. And I just thought they were so boring to look at. I just did not like them. What they reminded me mostly of is um, they looked like stuff that was cut from Bloodborne and that was discarded by FromSoft developers. And Capcom swooped in and was like, ooh, well, you like these fuzzy black zombies that don't look like anything. We're going to use these on the cheap. We got these for free. It just They look like shitty Bloodborne leftovers, and I just really don't like them. Some enemies are cool. Not every enemy in the game is bad. I mean, obviously there are some high points. But like your generic enemies, most of the, the, the fodder enemies that you're shooting, they look terrible. They look really boring and dumb. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't disagree with you because, like, everything you're saying is, like, factually correct. They are just very gray and kind of not particularly interesting to look at. Uh, but I think for me, when I was playing it, anytime enemies were on the screen, I was just, like, so sort of, like, frantically alarmed that I, like, their physical makeup was, like, the last thing I was paying attention to. <laughs> like, I was never like, oh, my God, I wish these enemies were, like, more distinct or colorful. I was just like all right, let me back up slowly and try to nail this headshot and miss it four times and then wonder if I've ever played a first-person shooter before. That was pretty much my train of thought most of the time. Yeah, I mean, I get it. And, you know, there's there's sometimes not much time to, like, actually, like, stare at the enemies. You're often overwhelmed and whatever, and that's fine. But, like, when you really take a look at them, especially, like, um, there's a character viewer. You can, like, unlock some character models and look at those. I'm like, man, these guys are terrible. They look so... <laughs> dull and gray and just boring it's like these tubs of dishwater walking around when you're shooting them it's just i just i'm not a fan that's one place where i feel like capcom kind of dropped the ball uh but other than that i think i think it's okay any any complaints that you have about the game before we get into spoiler territory here um i just want to say if you're disappointed with the enemy design in eight when you go back to play seven prepare to be like let down extra extra hard i won't spoil it but <laughs> um you're gonna play seven and be like what the fuck even are these enemies because they're <laughs> oh, no. they're on another level below sea level of being interesting um mm, but the only other complaint and i can't really say a lot i mean i probably have other complaints i'm just not super duper thinking of them right now is uh, but the one that comes to mind is um and i can't say that much because you know it'll get into spoiler territory but i just kind of think the the overall story of the game and i mean resident evil is not known for you know having mm. the best stories on the planet in fact most of the games the stories are like pretty fucking dumb and I, but a lot of people, when 7 came out, were like, oh, this is the best story that Resident Evil has ever done. And I played it, and I was like, am I playing the same game that everybody else is here? Because I thought the story of 7 was incredibly stupid. It's basically just like Texas Chainsaw Massacre Resident Evil edition and it's I didn't think it was interesting it was very much one of those stories that I think everybody liked because all it did was just pull a bunch of references from like horror 
pop culture and just like smash them all into a Resident Evil game. And I thought a lot of the story was really stupid. And I had a big problem with seven um, because I have a thing with video games where like I get mad if a video game doesn't get out of its own way. And seven is a little bit like that where. Um, and maybe it's because seven was in VR at the time. It was like a big, you know, kind of triple A PSVR title that it just tried to be very cutsceney and very kind of like shocking in its cutscenes. And it really, I didn't play it in VR, but it just really fell flat for me. And I like during the whole opening of that game, I, I just want to be like, all right, just like, let me play the fucking game. And I like that about eight, because even though the opening is still kind of slow, like once it gets out of its way, you just get to play the game. And I love when a game gets out of its own way and lets you play it. But I will say the story stuff in 8, I thought was kind of stupid. And the fact that 8, and this is going to be weird for you if you play 7 after this, because 8 kind of like retroactively affects things from 7 here and there. Um, so they come together as a good package in that way. But I didn't, that also didn't mean I came away from 8 necessarily satisfied with the decisions they made. So I just, the story, I was like, eh, I could kind of take it or leave it and plus ethan being like literally the most uninteresting video game protagonist i've played as in recent memory certainly does not help but the overall story i was just like nah i could you know take it or leave it fair enough fair enough we can talk about this more in the spoiler section uh but before we do that i think that probably wraps up the non-spoilery section so um let's just give a really quick wrap up for people who don't want to be spoiled and then i'll put up a warning here so overall Corey, it sounds like you really like this game a lot would you recommend it what do you, what is your really nutshell capsule final thought here oh i love it i think if you're a resident evil fan um especially if you played and liked resident evil 7 you will love it and i'm really refreshed to hear from you having not played 7 that you came to it and loved it and it makes you want to go and play seven. And I secretly hope that, you know, with the feedback from the developer saying that seven was too scary, that eight will give seven this kind of new surging audience, because I think seven is really, really, once it gets out of its way, I think it's really good. And eight just builds on that in really interesting mm -hmm. ways. So I think they go together really well as a package deal. I mean, seven is tighter. It's more horror focused. It's a little shorter, but both of them are great. Um, I would highly recommend eight um, to both Resident Evil fans and maybe even not Resident Evil fans because it truly doesn't really feel like a classic Resident Evil, but it's still like excellent on its own terms. I agree. I came into this game not really knowing what to expect. I just didn't want to be left out of the conversation. And I was really pleasantly surprised. I feel like the game is just it's just a really fun game to play on its own. Uh, but I feel like it has great pacing. It has some um, really neat cutscenes, uh, not cutscenes, uh, set pieces. It has some really neat moments. Um, I think overall, like, it was just really a joy to play. I think the hub structure is really brilliant and works really well for this game. And it had a good balance of tense moments and actually fun, goofy moments. And I think altogether, like, it was a really fun ride. And I, I liked it. Actually, I liked it so much that I do plan on going back and playing Seven, which I originally passed on because it just looked too scary for me. But now that I know um the events of eight and i will say that eight i mean i you will have a different opinion on this but as someone who didn't play seven to me it seemed like eight spoiled the fuck out of everything that happened in seven <laughs> and but in a way it was good right because it kind of gave me motivation to go back and see it for myself and so i don't know that i would have ever played seven if i didn't like eight so much um uh, but i will uh, i have it downloaded on my xbox i'll probably crack it pretty soon so i'm planning on doing that but i think overall it's really good i would recommend it to people 
who who want like a, just a shootery game if you like Resident Evil, um, if you want some kind of gross horror. I mean, it's kind of a little bit of something for everybody. And it, it is is in the middle in a good way. Like, I don't think it's too much action. I don't think it's too much scary. I don't think it's too much gamey. I think it's it's a good balance, I think. And and maybe we'll inspire people to check out the rest of the series. Who knows? So I think that is a thumbs up for me. That is a thumbs up from Corey on Resident Evil Village. Now, this is the end of the spoiler-free section. We're going to talk for a few minutes about just everything in the story, the weirdness, the surprises, the left turns, the plot twists, all that stuff. We're going to be talking about that in just one minute. So this is your nuclear level spoiler warning um if you don't want to be spoiled on the story or any of the surprises do not keep listening um there is nothing left to the show after this other than the closing and the spoilers so if you've listened this far and don't want to be spoiled feel free to bounce and you're not going to really miss anything of course if you don't want to um miss the show and you don't care about being spoiled please continue to listen or finish the game and come back and see what we thought afterwards but for right now this is your final spoiler warning we are about to spoil literally everything about Resident Evil Village, and there will be no holds barred. So this is your final warning, and the spoiler warning is up. Okay, Corey, a um, couple things, I guess. Uh, I uh, So I didn't play 7, I did play 8, and a lot of crazy shit happens in 8. But I will say one thing that I thought was, uh, you tell me if it's cool or stupid. I, I couldn't decide if it's cool or stupid. <laughs> I thought it was really neat that when you finally got to the end of the game, it was kind of revealed that the the woman who was behind everything in the village was like a mentor to the person who started the Umbrella Corporation. And so there was definitely like some story connections there. I was not sure how they're going to tie that together. I wasn't sure what this was going to be. And, uh, you know, I'm not like super mega invested in story Resident Evil or the, co- the continuity or anything, but I thought that was kind of cool that you like find the lab and you find these connections. And I mean, I assume that this really ties a lot into seven. I mean, it seemed to me like pretty obvious they were talking a lot about what happened in the village was really influential in Resident Evil seven. Like everything that happened in seven seemed to be because somebody did some stuff in the village in eight. I mean, to me, I thought it all came together pretty well, but you know, I'm not like, I'm not reading the FAQ. I don't know. I'm not checking it for facts or anything. I'm not doing accuracy. But to me, I thought that was pretty cool. And that was a big part of what inspired me to want to go and play 7 because I'm like, oh, well, this all seems kind of cool. I'm interested to see how this plays out when Ethan's doing it on his own in Louisiana. What did you think about all those story bits? Like, would they work for you? Were they cool? Were they dumb? Like, what did you think? Um, I thought uh, – because Resident Evil has this kind of like interesting and somewhat silly pattern of – it's like every – because, I mean – Resident Evil, for better or worse, I think definitely takes its, like, story, and when I say story, I mean, like, for all of the games tied together, like, way too seriously, and I thought it was, um, like, eight, seven and eight would have been perfect, just standalone games that had nothing to do with anything that came before it, with, you know, the T-Virus, or... Um, the Spencer Mansion or Umbrella or any of that stuff, but they weave that a little bit into eight. It's not really in seven that I can remember. Um, seven is very much a standalone thing other than Chris Redfield showing up, but even him showing up is not like, I don't know. He doesn't show up and like talk about all of his past experiences with Umbrella or anything. So he's kind of a reinvented character in seven a little bit. Chris seems very different. I'm kind of wondering what happened to Chris because he's come a long way from the dude and the very first game to now. I mean, he's like buffer and weird. He's a super special agent and he's doing all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't even really recognize him as being the same character anymore. Yeah. He's definitely like in seven, it seemed like they kind of, 
I mean, I don't think they, they like, meant to kind of throw away his entire past and, like, reboot him, but it kind of felt that way in 7. But then in 8... You get you get the continuity of understanding that this is still the same Chris that's been through everything from the Spencer Mansion to Code Veronica to five, um, you know, and six. And then he is still the same character going forward. And, you know, like, I don't think the game needed to do that, but I also appreciate that it did. And like when you're talking about the woman who's behind everything, Mother Miranda in eight, she's kind of like the big bad at the end. Uh she the fact that the game kind of tied that back to the Spencer estate and Spencer mansion and the founding of umbrella like they didn't need to do it but it was kind of like a fun little easter egg like cuz it kind of has this big reveal moment like about i don't know 85% of the way through the game and it didn't need to do that and i'm not mad that it did it but i was just like oh okay like this is kind of cool cuz i remember them trying to do that in 5 whenever you're playing as Chris in Africa and there's like a chapter when you're in the underground caves and you find this like these flowers that are in this cave and it turns out that like those were the flowers that they used for the T-virus and they synthesized them and like five didn't need to do that and it was kind of silly then but it was you know a nice little nod to the series and then eight it kind of is kind of turning around and doing the same thing where they talk about you know Spencer and Miranda like teaming up on these archaeological digs like you know uh, decades ago and then it kind of loops it back where he took his inspiration from her and what they learned in the caves in order to start Umbrella and then I guess he like found the flowers in Africa and that's what got him on the T-virus and you know they didn't need to do it but I I thought it was you know cute I thought it was nice like it it could have been its own standalone adventure but I'm definitely not mad that they did it and I do appreciate um kind of reminds me in a way of like Metal Gear Solid 4 where it tied up like literally every loose end of the entire series like I feel <laughs> yes. like Resident Evil 8 yes. like with every game they release they're trying to do that but like when when the story of Resident Evil started in such a ridiculous manner like the, I feel like every game they try to like rationalize it and I'm like Capcom like you don't have to do this like you, you like, we're talking about people running around a spooky mansion shooting zombies like you don't have to make like an oscar level story out of this and keep trying to like tie it up but i do appreciate the fact that they did it and uh the fact that you get to take control of chris and he sort of has the big reveal which you know that was a surprise for me at the end controlling chris was a big surprise for me yeah i totally wasn't expecting that either but i also liked it because it um i've seen some people complain about that as well but i think it you know, it's like through the whole game, even though it's action focused, it's not really like a super action game. But then for that, like 30 minute segment of playing as Chris, it's just like a balls to the wall. Like you've got like 500 bullets. It's your action moment. And I thought it was good for the pacing because you've been creeping around this like dank factory for two hours. Yeah, you just then, go this fucking go wild at the yeah. end. Just like get your revenge on everybody and just go crazy. It's nuts. Yeah, I really like that. And the fact that they save kind of the story reveal for Chris to witness because he's the one that's kind of been through it all for the past you know, I don't know, 30 years or whatever. Um, I thought that was a really nice touch. I mean, they didn't need to do it, but I still appreciate it. I thought it was handled very well, and I thought it was pretty cool the way that they tied it all back to the first game. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was pretty neat, and I do appreciate that about Capcom, where they they have produced such a wide variety of Resident Evil experiences. Like, when you just look at them mechanically, I mean, there's, like, first-person shooters, there's multiplayer online, there's, like, third-person action, there's first-person, there's horror, there's, you know, they, they span the gamut, right? But they always try to, like, keep it in the same universe or keep some kind of narrative thread together so that those games, like, like, like all exist in the same kind of mind space. Maybe they're not so close together, some are closer than others, but I appreciate that they do it just from a, 
just from a creative perspective, you know, like this, this IP they have, they're kind of shepherding it in and trying to keep it all well in the same world, I think is really great. I, I do appreciate that very much. I did. I, I was a little bit confused though. Maybe you can clarify. Um, they were saying, if I understand correctly, that the umbrella symbol comes from the village and it was some ancient symbol that was just in the architecture there. And the dude who starts umbrella saw it and he thought it was really cool. So he used it for his own symbol because that to me was a little bit of a bait and switch because when you get to the village and you start seeing some of the ruins, you're like, Oh man, here's the umbrella symbol. So does that mean that umbrella was here? This is all put on by umbrella. But then at the end it's like, no, this was actually here before umbrella. And this is where he got his idea. He stole it from the village. I mean, that's kind of how I read it. Is that, that's what happened, isn't it? Yeah. He, um, yeah, pretty much exactly you described. Like to me, it was like, he, was sort of being mentored by Miranda and he just like happened to see the umbrella logo looking thing in there and he liked it. Mm-hmm. And that's what he decided to use for umbrella when he started it. Okay. Okay. Cause I was like really thinking like before I knew what this, <clears throat> the story reveals were, I was like, okay, so what we got another lab underneath the ground and <laughs> umbrellas like doing their dirty shit like they did, but actually no, it's like a total turnaround. It's not at all umbrella doing it, but it is in the same vein and related. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, one thing about the story, which kind of bugged me, and I know it really bugged Dan Weisenberger, who reviewed the game for us at Game Critics. Uh, I think this was his biggest complaint, and he didn't he didn't include it in the review, or you know he may, he might have mentioned it obliquely. He did not spoil it in the review, but like it's funny because in the story there's like one kind of like a really big plot hole, or just something that really stupid happens, where a big crux of the story is that at the beginning of the game. Uh, Ethan sees Mia get shot and that's what kind of kicks off the whole adventure. Like he's trying to get his daughter back and he wants revenge for Mia and et cetera, et cetera. But it turns out that it was never, it, it was not Mia. Mia had been replaced by mother Miranda at some point because mother Miranda can change her appearance. And we start the game by seeing Chris Redfield jump into Ethan's house and blow who we think is Mia away, but it's not really. And at no point, does Chris ever say, Hey bro, that wasn't your wife at all. Like, I mean, if he had told that to Ethan from the beginning, it it could have been, maybe they could have teamed up or maybe they could have like worked on this adventure in a different way or whatever, but it ends up being Ethan just like, you know, John Wayne lone star hero, just going off on his own, doing whatever. And he is actively, you know, he's angry at Chris and he thinks Chris is the bad guy, et cetera, et cetera. And then when we get it to the end of the game, I mean, there's even like a moment where somebody on Chris's team is like, Chris, you should have told Ethan the plan. <laughs> He's like, whatever. He's like, no, you should have told him the plan. Like they clearly Capcom's writers know, like it was kind of bullshit that at no point did Chris mention what was going down. I mean, kind of stupid. I kind of didn't like that very much. Um, what did you think about it? Did it bother you or didn't bother you? Yeah. I mean, I think that because I think the entire story of the game is pretty stupid, that it was just one of those like suspension of disbelief things for me where, I was like, yeah, this is kind of stupid. Like, I feel like they could have done the whole setup a little bit better. Like, maybe they could have set it up better if, like, Mia had gotten murdered, but Chris was, like, never even in the first scene. And maybe it was just, like, random commandos that kidnapped him or something. Um, Because of Chris at the very, yeah, at the very beginning of the game, he could have just been like, oh, like, that wasn't Mia. It was an imposter. But that would have, like, basically canceled the entire game. Or maybe they could have, like, done a thing where you would switch back and forth between Chris and Ethan over the course of the game, like a bunch of times. And yeah, like they could have teamed up or something, but I mean, I think the story, even though I'm not really agreeing with this kind of rationalize it in a way where it's like, you know, Chris is this like, Ooh, like suave army commando dude. Who's like seeing all this shit. And Ethan is just like some like fucking white guy. And so Chris, you know, perhaps rightfully 
was just like, oh, well, if we bust in and like murder uh, like Mia slash Miranda, like Ethan is like basically like way too stupid to be able to like have the capacity to like fight back. And then, you know, much to his chagrin or whatever, you know, Ethan ends up being, you know, good enough to fight through the village and everything. But yeah, I mean, they could have they could have definitely handled the beginning of the story. It's like they they just like blew their load a little too fast on wanting to reveal Chris. And I think they could have you know, maybe waited to reveal him, even though he's on the fucking cover of the game and he's only in the game for like 30 minutes. So I don't know. It was was a little silly, but I mean, the whole story is silly. So I guess I just kind of let it slide as I played it because I cannot take these games stories seriously to save my life at this point. Yeah, it just felt a little sloppy to me. I mean, if nothing else, it could have been, you know, either or, you know, Ethan just saying, I don't care what you say, Chris, I'm just going to go do whatever. And then him just going rogue in the entire game kind of still happened the way it happened anyway. I mean, it just was kind of a weird, it's like one of those movies where like, like you just said, it kind of cancels the whole thing. Like if the main character told one sentence to the other character at the beginning of the movie, there wouldn't be a movie because the whole thing would have <laughs> happened. Right. Like I find that to be very frustrating. Um, anyway, so let's talk a little bit about the sections. Uh, I feel like overall the sections were not too spooky. The first section with, um, Lady Dimitrescu is how they pronounce it, which kind of threw me for a loop, uh, was was fairly scary. Uh, the second section with the dollhouse, that was super scary. Mm. That was the scariest part of the whole game for yes. me. That was, that was almost a little bit too scary. Um, when I saw that there were closets that had the eye holes that were expressly in every room for the, the, the sole purpose of hiding in them, I was like, fuck, this is exactly <laughs> what I didn't want to do. This is exactly what I did not sign up for. I do not like closets where you hide in them running from room to room, fuck that shit, everything about that shit. Uh, but then you go to the watery area and you see the giant fish monsters swimming around in the water the whole time, which I thought was interesting. Like, you know, most games would have held that back and just had like a big cutscene, and then you start the battle. But like you see that monster the entire time and knowing that he's down there kind of gives a different flavor to the proceedings. Um, I mean, I thought those sections were pretty cool. What did you think about all those ex- sections? Well, something that I really liked um, on more of like a like a macro note is that something that I really, and I don't think enough video games do this, but something that I really love and respect about this game, and I love it because one of my favorite games of all time, uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution, did the exact same thing where there is this very like intro kind of slow burn intro which that you know maybe isn't the best thing especially on replay uh replays of the game but you get to a certain point maybe like i don't know an hour in or something like that where the game very explicitly kind of kind of shows you like all right here are like the four big enemies that you're going to have to get through so it automatically sets this bar for how the game is going to be paced. And I love when games do that because Deus Ex Human Revolution did the same thing where, you know, in the opening sequence, uh, you play as Adam Jensen, his scientist ex-girlfriend gets kidnapped. And in those moments, you see all of the sort of like big bad bosses that you're going to fight through the rest of the game. So you have an idea of how the game is going to be paced because they introduce everything. Meanwhile, in Deus Ex Mankind Divided, the follow-up to it, the last boss, he's very, like, kind of, like, vaguely in the game, and you don't really know if he's a friend or if he's not, so it kind of sets up the game to be paced in a way that is unexpected and weird, but I love that Village just kind of, like, puts you in that cutscene where it introduces everybody when he's captured, and it shows you all the enemies, so you know that you're gonna kind of have to get through them one by one in order to get to Miranda. And I would, I mean, the biggest criticism I can offer here is that 
Um, there's not enough Mother Miranda in the game. Like, she is set up. She is, like, the last boss, like, the big bad of the game. And she shows up for all of, like, I don't know, 20 seconds in the game, even though she's the one that has the highest stakes for what's going on in the village. Um, but it still sets everybody up. And I wasn't expecting, um, like you said earlier, the game to kind of take on this sort of, like, like it's got, like, its quadrants where you kind of are in this one sealed dungeon area for this boss once you're over, that's it. You can never go back to that area. You go back to the village, you go to the next dungeon, you go to that boss, you go to the next dungeon. And I thought the way that they paced everything out was really, really well done. And the fact that they had a reveal at the beginning that kind of showed everything you were going to go up against, I thought was really, really smart and really helped the pacing of the game. Um, but I did really appreciate the different quadrants of the game, because like you said, you know, the Lady Dimitrescu, her mansion is very classic Resident Evil. It's kind of scary. It's paced slowly. The area where you're in the basement and you're in like the up to your knees and like the blood wine stuff, that area was just like chef's kiss for like pacing and intensity. Um, and then you get to uh, House uh, Beneviento, which is like the basically the capsule PT game in it where you're unarmed, you're solving puzzles, you're not fighting anything. It's very horror walking simulator which i loved i mean i love those kind of games so it was nice that they like had that nice like just straight up like capsule horror experience in the middle of it and then you know you go to the fish monster and the fish monster part was very sort of resident evil 4 to me where it's like you know kind of like everything's on edge it's very like balls to the wall you don't know if this big fish monster is going to jump out and attack you and you're kind of like you know, running across these like flooded rooftops, trying to navigate this weird flooded area of the village. And meanwhile, the fish is flopping everywhere and you're worried he's going to, you know, just jump up and eat you alive. And then you have a lot of the action focused stuff next, which is like the enemy stronghold. And that part gets really action heavy. We were kind of going through these caves I'm trying to get to this castle to get this key or whatever. And it's basically just like a bunch of like big Resident Evil 4 style kind of big shootouts and everything. And they've got the strategically placed, you know, red barrels you shoot to blow up. There's like a zip line in one area that you can go down to get away from the enemies. And then it all culminates in the factory, which although the factory has a lot of action, it is paced in a way that I thought was so meticulously and carefully done where you are facing some of the tougher enemies in the game, but they're not constantly swarming you. The environment is very dank and it's very claustrophobic. It's very industrial and it's also beautiful, but it's paced in a way where you just kind of are always on edge because you like know something bad is going to happen, but something bad doesn't always happen. Like if the factory were in dead space, literally a zombie would be jumping out of every door and every window because that's how Dead Space handled horror awfully, in my opinion. But like the factory, you're like going down these dark hallways. You don't know if something's going to attack. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. And it really keeps you on edge in a really good way. And then, of course, culminates in the absolutely ridiculous like tank mech oh fight. Oh my god, we, we have to talk about that boss battle. I was like, I was beside myself. I was like, oh my god. When when you see Chris preparing this like vehicle, it's like this track tractor with chainsaws and mounted guns and tank treads. He's like, yeah, this is for you, Ethan. I'm like, what? Oh my god. And then, the you know, the, the boss of that Heisenberg or whatever, he turns into like this giant mechanical monster. And you're just like, 
blocking with a chainsaw and you're like running around shooting like rockets and your cannon and like everything's exploding and i'm like oh my god this is like the biggest the biggest fucking over-the-top <laughs> battle that's like ever been in resident evil it is like so bananas um but yeah man i totally agree like you just get a little taste right you get a little bit of open world in the village you get your scary uh classic re with lady dimitrescu you get pt creep slowly and piss your fucking pants because everything is super scary in the dollhouse you get the the action run and gun like run around in the fish area and then you go back to like a balance like you said like uh you get like some intense encounters but there's also a good pacing that culminates like a giant boss fight you get like every flavor every flavor of resident evil which i think is just a really really amazing trick for them to pull off right like the way that they did it with the quadrants the central hub kind of spanning like every version of resident evil we've ever gotten in one package pretty pretty neat trick pretty neat trick indeed yeah i was really impressed and i it was very unexpected because i you know people had been drawing comparisons to four the whole time like saying like oh well this looks like it's going to be the spiritual successor to four and although i mean i love resident evil 4 for how silly it is and everything um you know, Resident Evil 4 is a very, very linear experience. Like you're in a few bigger areas, but it's all, you know, you get to A to B, A to B, A to B, and then the game is over. But Village, the way that they did the the central hub and the pacing and the dungeons, it just worked. Like it's it's just like genius to me. And it makes me wonder like why, like why have they never done this before? It was such a smart thing to do. And it gives you a little bit of everything. It gives you some slower paced stuff, some faster paced stuff, some horror, some action. And if you've been, you know, if you're a longtime fan of Resident Evil and you've played most of the entries up until this point, like you're going to be on board for whatever the new area is going to give you. And I just exactly, thought it was just exactly. really impressive <clears throat> the way that they paced it. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I think there's one more thing that I want to talk about real briefly. But before I do that, is there anything spoilery that you would like to discuss really quickly? Um, are you going to talk about how silly it is that, uh, Ethan gets his hands cut off every five minutes? No, I'm not going <laughs> to. That is silly. The amount of hand torture porn is ridiculous. I also just really quickly want to call out the number of times that you fall from the top floor of Lady Dimitrisk's house to the basement. It is, it is slapstick comedy. How many times you escape or you get thrown down or you fall or something happens where you go from the fucking top of the house to the absolute rock bottom of the basement. It is kind of a joke how many times it happens. I thought that was goofy. Also, the finger porn was not cool. Not <laughs> Did not appreciate that very much. No, what I'm going to talk about is Ethan's daughter. Like, the way that they cap off the story uh... is, you know, Ethan destroys himself, blows up in the giant explosion at the end of the game, which I thought was interesting because I was really wondering whether they were going to put Ethan through it again. Like, what else could they do with him? It kind of felt like they kind of would be going back to the same drawing board if they did it a second time. Uh, one time pre-military training, one time post-military training, nothing else to do with Ethan. Um, but they, you know, they reveal that Ethan was, I guess, uh, revived or, you know, by his being infected with the mold in Resident Evil 7. I didn't play 7, but, you know, I don't know if that's a retcon or whatever, but, you know, he is able to survive all this damage, grow his fingers back, survive, get his heart ripped out because he is... I don't know what half human half mold monster from his infection in seven. And, you know, a big theme of the game is that his daughter uh, is super powered because she is the child of this half mold monster. Um, and so she is progressing whatever abilities that Ethan has. Um, and so Ethan dies at the end of the game. And then you see a cutscene of his daughter 
who, you know, says she's very powerful and she's being treated as if she is powerful. She's under guard. Um, and I mean, I'm like, whoa, like, are they going to pivot again? Are we going to go back to the third person? Are we going to get Ethan's daughter as the star of the next Resident Evil game? I mean, that's kind of a bold choice. I was kind of really excited by that. What did you think of it? Yeah, I mean, it definitely, <clears throat> to me, I feel like, you know, if I could predict what they're going to do next, I mean, it definitely seems like the next entry in this sort of like seven to eight universe, I'm, I would guess would be another first person game to keep it in theme, but you would play as Mia, his daughter, who is now, I guess, this kind of like all powerful being in a way um, from being born from Ethan, but I, I mean, it just raises a bunch of questions. Like, I mean, I, I didn't really feel like one way or another about the ending of the game. Um, when you're talking about the mold monster stuff, I definitely like I'm going to be really interested for you to play seven now because that really like in a way it kind of explains a lot of the problems I had with seven, but also doesn't entirely, which I think is a little bit of bullshit because I wouldn't call it a retcon, but it's kind of like a just this like kind of unnecessary twist at the end of the game where it's like, oh, we're just going to explain all this away because like my big problem with with that whole thing is that if Ethan, you know, they set him up to be in in cutscenes at least to be this kind of like indestructible uh, being. And, you know, there's literally a segment in eight where he gets his hand chopped off and the same thing actually happens in seven really early in the game in seven his other hand, his left hand gets cut off and he ends up like it getting it reattached to his body. And I remember when I played seven at the time, I was like, like all of the drama and all of the threat just like fell out of the bottom of the game. Cause I was like, okay, well if he can like get his arm cut off and then just like reattach it to his body, then like, why am I using healing potions for the rest of the game? Like this doesn't make any fucking sense. And so eight like kind of pulls the same shit and then they try to explain it away at the end, which I ugh, like I wasn't like totally on board with it because um, it still doesn't make sense in eight where like you basically are playing as an indestructible being. But if he gets hit by a skeleton with a sword twice, he dies, which makes right, really zero right. sense. I mean, I know what they're trying to do, but I, I'm not on board for that. But like for the whole me or not Mia, but uh, uh, Eva, Eva, what's his daughter's name? Eva, uh, no, Evelyn was the one from Rose, seven, Rose, wasn't it? Rose, Rose, yeah. Rose is her name, yes. Um, Eva was Miranda's daughter's name in eight, who she was trying to resuscitate, I think. Um, but Rose, yeah, so like, I'm curious because if they make, I mean, it seems very much like they're gonna make another one and she will perhaps be the lead character in it. Um, you know, it could be a split thing where it's like half her, half Chris or something. Um, but if she's supposed to be this like all powerful being, I'm wondering like, what the hell is the next game going to be? Is she just going to be like running around, like using like psychic powers to kill everything? Or are they going to come up with some story caveat to like make her like a mortal being? Because that's kind of what they did with Ethan. So I'm just really curious. I mean, I'm sure whatever they do, the gameplay is going to be great. I'm going to play it and love it or whatever. But from a story perspective, I'm just like, how are they going to explain this one? Like, is she going to be some... Is she going to be like the next Wesker who can like do anything and, you know, move super fast and, you know, do all the stuff? Or are they going to find a way to, 
I don't know, infect her with some fucking serum at the start of the game and she like doesn't have her powers or whatever and she gets them back at the end. Like, I don't know, they're just like with Capcom, the possibilities are endless. So I don't know. I'm it's got to be Metroidvania. Metroidvania is next. I'm calling it right now. I mean, hey, Going if, on record. if that's it, that's fine. But I'm just curious to see what they're going to do with her and her powers. And I mean, I'm not she's only in the game for like a little bit. So I'm not particularly interested in her as a character. I also don't really like Ethan as a character. I also don't like Mia as a character, like even in seven. <laughs> like I I mean, I know you haven't played seven, but Mia is like. She's just so annoying. She like nothing she does makes sense. She's always like a bitch. Like she's never like I don't know. She's just like always like this this object, this this roadblock in the story. And a lot of her actions in seven, like, I don't know. They're just stupid and they don't make sense. And I'm not gonna spoil it because you haven't played it, but I I'm really interested to hear what you think about seven when you finish it. But I just don't like Mia as a character, and I don't like Ethan as a character, and Mia is one of those characters where like She's the kind of side character where as I'm playing through the game, I'm just like, oh, I can't wait for her to get killed off like this. That'll make the game so much better, <laughs> which luckily for me at eight, I mean, she quote unquote gets killed off like 10 minutes in. So I was like, oh, thank God. I don't have to listen to her bitch for the rest of the game. This game's already a much bigger improvement over seven. But um, yeah, I just don't like any of the main care. Like Chris is cool. I like Chris, <laughs> but like Ethan's dumb. Mia's dumb. Like, I mean, his daughter or whatever, she's in it for like five minutes. So maybe she'll be cool down the line. But uh, yeah, I'm just curious to see what they're going to do with her and the next game. If she's the main character, or if, or if, she, if she has powers, if she doesn't, what's going to happen. But I mean, they're probably going to put out like one or two remakes of old games before nine. So it'll probably be like, you know, six years before we get Resident Evil nine. Anyway, right. so it'll be a while. Good questions all. I am very curious. I will say that 8 has reignited my interest in the franchise. I wasn't sure if I was still a Resident Evil person after staying away from 7, but I think I'm back in. I'm definitely going to... I've got 7 on my Xbox. I'm going to start it probably this week, maybe. I'll let you know. Uh, maybe we can uh, reconvene at some point in the future to talk about 7, perhaps. But uh, I think that uh, we have done pretty good coverage of Resident Evil Village. Um, probably time for us to wrap up here. Any last thoughts before we uh, close the show? I do. I have one nerdy technical question for you. Um, what system did you play this on? I played it on... I played Resident Evil 8 on PS5. Okay. I Because I don't have a PS5 yet. Um, I probably... I think at this point I'm just going to wait until they inevitably release the PS5 Slim to get it because you cannot find a PS5 ever to save your life. And also I'm like too broke to afford one. But... Um, I played it on PC, which is weird because I usually save my big AAA games for consoles and I usually only play games either that are like short and indie or games that I've already played before that I'm familiar with from consoles on PC. But I took the dive and I bought eight on PC. And for the most part, I have a very like mid tier uh, gaming PC. For the most part, it ran pretty well. Um, obviously, I couldn't push it to its full graphical potential. My PC doesn't have a graphics card that can do ray tracing or anything. There were a few areas in the game that had really, really intense slowdown for me, which is specific to my setup and the graphics and the settings I was running it on. But I'm just curious because I don't have a new Xbox or the PS5. Um, how did this game look for you on PS5? Was it like mind-blowingly beautiful? I mean, no. I mean, it looked it looked fine. It looked fine. There was no slowdown whatsoever. I mean, the the frame rate was rock solid. There were no technical hiccups. It was very polished all the way through. I mean, I had no complaints about it. Um, but it wasn't like I was like, oh my god, this looks amazing. It just 
you know, but the, I'm not much of a graphics or either, right? Like it takes something really, really, really special for me to go, wow, that looks amazing. Like it's, it's not a common occurrence for me. Um, so I think it looked great. I mean, it looked great. It looked like what it needed to look like other than the shitty enemy design, but in terms of environments and lighting and, uh, all that stuff, I mean, it looked really good. I mean, I, I wouldn't, maybe other people would disagree, but I wouldn't hold this up as like, Oh my God, if you want to get your mind blown by next gen graphics, <laughs> check out village. Like I wouldn't hold this one up, but I mean, maybe other people have a better TV with like some HDR and shit. Maybe it looked great on their TV, but I just have a regular TV and it looked fine and it played well and I had no complaints, but it's not something that I was like blown away by. Okay. I was just curious. Cause I, you know, I'm just bitter over here in the corner, not having a PS five yet. So I want to know if it's, the end all be all of looking great. I'm glad to hear it performance wise. It ran really well. Cause for me, it was kind of hit and miss here and there, but for the most part, it ran well on my PC, but I was just curious. Oh, that's too bad. Well, you know, I got my PS five through uh, gameplay. Uh, the so video games uh, podcast, not currently sponsored by gameplay would be happy to be sponsored by gameplay. Uh, but yeah, I got it through them. So yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I like, uh, I, I liked it well enough, but I am going to play seven on the Xbox X. That is my current main console. So I will let you know how it goes about the, I got the, uh, the game, all the DLC, got everything queued up. So we're going to jump into that pretty soon. So, all right, Corey Motley, we've been talking for a very long time. I am getting starving. I need some food. I'm sure you need to go get some food and maybe get back to that mass effect. Commander <laughs> Shepard is waiting. The galaxy is not going to save itself, but man, I want to say it was wonderful to have you back. I am so glad that you came back to the show and we're going to have to do this again, uh, sooner rather than later. Yes, please. I, as you know, I've been playing far fewer games nowadays than I used to. Um, but I feel like every time I play something that's kind of new and hot, I always hit you up and I'm like, oh, it's the one time a year I'm playing the big AAA thing right now. So <laughs> I will continue to do that as I play new stuff. And I'm always happy to come back and chat, even if it's just with you, if it's just with Carlos or if it's with all three of us, I'm always happy to be back. Well, you are most welcome, and we will definitely have you on the show again as soon as possible, I'm sure. But for now, I'm tired. You're probably tired. I'm sure people listening are tired, <laughs> and I can smell a plate of food waiting for me. So let us wrap it up. This is the end of the show, folks. Thank you very much for listening. If you listen to the spoiler section, um, before we close everything down, just know, as always, we love to get your questions and comments. Hit us up, so video games podcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, at SoVideoGames. But you can reach us individually, Corey. Where can people find you, if at all? <clears throat> oh, I'm rusty. I haven't done this in a while. Um, you can find me on Twitter uh, and Instagram if you would like. Uh, my tweets are either about video games or makeup or skincare or... Um, that's about it. Parkour. Parkour. Parkour photos, the photography I do. My Instagram is mostly photography I do, action photography, stuff like that, studio photos. You can follow me on either of those platforms. Um, same username for both. It's just my first and last name, Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. And if you want to follow me, I'd be glad to have you. It's weird when people use their real name as their handle on social media. I find that so strange. Uh, for people who want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. <laughs> All A's, no O's, as per usual. And folks, that is going to do it for episode, what did I say, 233? 233. 233. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for joining us here. And we're going to see you next Friday. But in the meantime, this is Bye From Brad. And Bye From Corey. Bye.